Holman, this is Lightning, episode 233. Whoa, of... whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow your roll. Why? You are Lightning? Yes. Just in case that uh, people get our voices confused. Oh, is that why? I thought you were saying it because we both have been away for two weeks and we may have forgotten what the other one looked like. Uh, I can never get your face uh, unseared from my memory. I just want to thank you for growing your goatee back so I don't have to look at uh, all your chins. <laughs> well, no, I just, I have, what? No, I guess I do have multiple chins, don't I? I do too, which is why I have a giant beard. Mm. But You're I, saying that I have uh, more chins than a Chinese phone book? I did not say that, but what did I Did you say that I have more chins than Chinatown? No, I did not say that either. I see. I'm just saying thank you for growing your goatee back. All right, well, That's you're welcome. That's all I'm saying. I'm enjoying it because I don't like my face either. <laughs> I just don't. <laughs> Really? No, I We've don't. We've never talked about that before. <clears throat> no, I... You I, have body image issues? Oh, for sure. Really? Yes. Yeah, you just... What, what is it about you that you don't like? Uh, the roundness. The roundness. <laughs> I see more of an oval shape. I do not... Well, okay, fine. It's just okay. curves I don't like. Are you talking about the whole thing or just your head? Well, mainly my face. I've, I uh-huh. do not have a defined jawline, which I have always <laughs> uh, been upset about. Would you call it a jowl line? A jowl line? I don't think so. And so I grew a goatee just to uh, create some definition, and uh, it stuck 10, 15, 20 years ago, whatever it was. And then every once in a while, you shave it off, and then I get worried. Yeah, yeah, like I'm going through chemo or something. Uh, no. Jeez, <laughs> why do you always have to go through? No, I just get worried that you won't grow it back. That's oh, all. Oh, not oh that yeah, dude, my family was worried. Not that you're going to die or anything. <laughs> oh, <okay>. Jeez. <laughs> what kind of savage do you take me for? Wow. All right, so Holman, I wanted to start uh, this episode off with a little auditory delight. This is from the Pikes Peak International Hill Climb 2022. Never heard of her. This is what it sounds like to be at the starting line. That's old Smokey. With Aaron Kaufman driving? Yep. How'd he do? We'll talk about that in a second. There's another diesel. And, uh... How many interviews are you going to bestow us with? I'll and, explain uh, that in a minute. How many interviews are you going to bestow us with? Just listen to this. And how many interviews are you going to Come on, these are all different cars and trucks. Sounds awesome. I'll give you 10 bucks if you can tell me what engine and the vehicle that it's in. I have no idea. You ready? No, hold on. I already don't have any idea. Listen, listen. You'll know. That's me. Any ideas? Uh, I have an idea, but I'm sure I'm wrong because I don't know that he raced. Is it the uh, Freightliner Cascadia with the super turbo in it? It is not. He oh. was Mike Ryan was not up there this year. I didn't think so, but it did sound like there was some uh, supercharger wine along with some turbo wine, so I don't know. That is a Ford Power Stroke 6 liter in a Nissan GTR. Right, because that completely makes sense. <laughs> But of all the sounds that I was subject to, this was the weirdest. An EV with some sort of soundtrack? And it was so loud, you couldn't believe it. No one could talk next to this. (laughs) 
This is Randy Pope's uh, plaid Model S. And it did this for 15 minutes. And everyone's like, what? What? Well, what? No, that's definitely different than a Power Stroke. Very different. But it is the future. And when he launched, it was incredible. It just went gone. And the traction was incredible. So, so uh, that interview with Randy, how did it go? I didn't do many interviews oh. from the starting line. Many or any? Any. And and there was a reason for that. Uh-huh. So uh, I got up to Pike's Peak on, uh, it was myself, Eric, and Matt from Banks. And we went up there to explore. And I did see multiple posts from you, though. I was posting, and I right. thought that people might enjoy those posts. Yes. I, I did. And I thought, wow, what a great number of posts. I can't wait to hear the audio behind them all. So I, th- I thought about it many times, about recording. I didn't even shoot video interviews. And the reason is... In the thick of things, there are those walking around with uh, mics, with uh, doing interviews, TV stations, radio stations, etc. We were there to shadow Scott Birdsall's team, and we were As there moles, so that you could beat him next year a little bit. But he knew that, okay. Right, so that was no secret because we contributed some parts to his his uh, effort, uh, l- his effort, his Lama prototype car. It was uh, eco diesel powered, by the way. So we contributed a uh, a racing intake manifold. We were checking out his team with Aaron Kaufman, and then we were also uh, shadowing Paul Dollenbach, who was racing a Sierra Alpha, which is a Hayabusa little, uh, it looks like you took a a side-by-side, made it a single-seater, and then shrank it some more. Hmm. And it was incredible. So let let me... uh, Let me explain to you why I didn't get... I didn't want to get interviews beforehand, because then if they... I don't know if 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 the race didn't turn out how they wanted... Then I'd have to edit them, and no, it, it, no, I was this thinking is, this is it at the line. This is history. I made it, and we, there's no so, so historical revision. Here, all right. So no historical revision. I'm going to say here's how it really went down. They were all having almost every team was having massive problems. We always talk about air density. Well, at Pikes Peak at 14,000 feet, the air is so thin that these engines cannot cool themselves. So a lot of the cars had overheating issues. There was transmission issues, electronic issues. So a typical race. Like a typical race. But no one's really thrilled to be doing interviews when they're just pissed off. That's why you do it. Uh, Those are the best kind. uh, Maybe. Hi, I'm Lightning. Talk to me. (laughs) We were there. Look, Scott Birdsall was plagued with many of these issues. His car was just dying randomly. It was a fuel rail pressure sensor once, and then it was a composition sensor another time. And then um, it turns out that he removed the thermostat in the coolant system and didn't know that there in his uh, water pump that there was a bypass. So by removing the thermostat, the bypass remained open and it didn't circulate water through the radiators. It just kept it within the engine so that the engine would heat up really quickly. So, so we ended up hitting— did not work. So me, Matt, and Eric— Sent those guys back to the shop. We were down at PPIR, Pikes Peak International Raceway, okay. where a lot of the teams practice. It's the closest, like 25, 30 minutes away from the hill. Everyone goes down there, rents a garage, or, and then just does laps and, and dials the cars in. So they couldn't get the car more than like a few laps around without, without it overheating. Uh, luckily, Matt Gamble, on, uh, Matt Gamble, who traveled up there with me from Banks, had just done a lot of research on the EcoDiesel. So he suggested, hey... It looks like you removed the thermostat. Did you plug the bypass? And Scott's team said, bypass? What? What? So we needed to find a little plug. We went to every O'Reilly, every AutoZone, every Advance. How about Napa? Did you try Napa? We we couldn't find a Napa, no. 
We went to every single one of them, and at 8 p.m. Friday night, we were locked in. I think it was in Advance Auto Parts. The guys closed the door behind us. We couldn't find any plugs to go down and seal this hole. I'm walking around as the guys are, are frantically looking through parts bins for anything that'll work, and right on the aisle facing me, I go, hey, guys, will these work? And I hold it up because I'm a numbnut. I don't exactly know what I'm looking for. And it was the exact thing that we were looking for. It was a container full of random size expansion plugs, like freeze plugs. We bought it. Actually, no, here's a funny story. You stole it's, them. No, they shut down the registers. And you wanted. No, listen, they shut down the registers so we couldn't buy them. And the manager's like, uh, you guys, what, what are these for? We're like, we're racing a Pikes Peak car. We're up here and we need this to seal it. We told him the whole thing. He goes, I can't ring you out. So he opens the box and he takes the three half inch diameter plugs and just puts them in Matt's hand and goes, these are yours. And unlocks the door and sends us on our way. So that was cool. Which store is that? Uh, that one was, God, I want to say was a, I think it was in advance. Wow. All right. Yeah. Kudos to advance. Good job. Other guys. So that was cool. Getting back to the reason that I didn't do interviews. These guys were just, you know, the racers are already in their element, right? They're already super focused. And then they're having constant problems. Paul Dallenbach, who was racing the Sierra Alpha, had never even sat in this car. It was a it was a loner car. It was a really weird story. Someone wanted him to race it. They sent it to him, and he hadn't even sat in it or raced it until like seven or eight days prior. The car kept breaking. Things were nonstop electrical issues. And so, I don't know. It was just awkward to interview them when they were going through that kind of crap. So maybe there's just a long, protracted excuse, but it's why I didn't record them. That's funny. I don't recall asking for a really, 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 really boring story. My God. Don't understand. No one cares. And so you were asking about results. So Scott Birdsall back in 2020 with Old Smokey F1 got an 11 minute, 24 second, 0.065. So 11.24.065. That was his time from the 9,000 foot starting line all the way up to the summit. Okay. This year, he got a 14-minute, 34-second, 894. Ouch. Yes, ouch. I think he was like 60th overall or something. Not good. Aaron, who was driving Old Smokey this year, came in at 14.05.794. I believe the guy that rolled off the mountain in a Ultra 4 car with street rubber also got around 14, something yes, like that. Yes, yeah, yeah. It was a guy in Ultra 4, yeah. Literally awesome. rolls over and doesn't even pause, just restarts it, goes back on the course, and makes it to the I top I don't even of the think hill. he had to restart it. I think he just put it in gear. They have mm, a, no, I think a, he started a it. A video of the in-car. Oh, really? Yeah, and he just grabs a gear and keeps going. Oh, I th- okay, like yeah, maybe barely, right. barely pauses. The thing about Pikes Peak is that it can be sunny at the bottom and snowing at the top or incredibly misty at the bottom and then sunny at the top. It's just, it can be so wacky. And when these guys were taken off, when Scott Birds all left the line at, I think, 7.30 in the morning Sunday, it was so misty and foggy, you couldn't even see more than, I don't know, 200 yards in front of you. And he had to go like 130 miles an hour in some of the straights. Yeah, I was looking at some of the in-car camera stuff, and it was... uh... It was very, very low visibility. It, the fog was intense, and there's a lot of guys where you're going, man, it, it pays to practice because you know where those turns are coming up, but that fog was not doing anybody any favors. Now, as far as the competition's concerned, look at this. So Paul Dallenbach, who was in that uh, Hayabusa-powered Sierra Alpha little car, he came in at 11 minutes, 6 seconds, 
point three eight seven. Fast. It's very fast. Okay. A Tesla Model Three came in at eleven oh six two oh five. A few hundredths of a second faster to beat him. Yeah, that's just barely. Crazy. Then Rod Millen, who is 71 years old, yeah. drove his Toyota Tacoma, which is more like a tube chassis truck, course, but it was yeah. it's bitching. Yeah. Came in at 11:06:152. So Rod Millen beat Paul by like a quarter of a second. If Paul had just gone a quarter of a second faster, he would have been not in tenth place not overall, have had but in eighth. Yeah, like it's just by it's the way, insane the margin. Uh, that you can get eked out. Google Levi Shirley, uh, and that's the uh, the athlete who had, uh, I believe he had Toyo street tires on his Ultra 4, yes. but he just came into a corner too fast and ran out of brakes and rolled right off the mountain and then drove right back on the race course and kept going. And luckily the spot he was in was still in the trees and it had an opening. Can you believe this? So we are talking about Aaron's time and Scott's time in the 14s? Yes. Levi Shirley, who drove... Off the track, rolled over, and then drove back on the track, 1344. <laughs> and it was faster. <laughs> so we have to give Scott a hard time and say, dude, you didn't even leave the track this time. So maybe he needs to leave the track again. Scott spun out. Scott spun there out, go, yep. and the car stalled twice. He was pissed. Hmm. He was really upset. Like I would be upset, too. That's frustrating. You spend a year. The problem with this race is you have a year to get ready and one chance to do it. The thing is, it's like the SEMA crunch. For those of you that have heard about the SEMA Crunch, Holman and I have talked about it a lot. That's you're building a project vehicle and you've got all year to do it, except really it doesn't happen until the last month or the last week. And that's what everyone calls the SEMA Crunch. And that was times 10 up at the mountain. Like these guys that put Sometimes those, they're doing it at the mountain because they got to tune things they, well, the with, guys, with what's available with the atmospheric conditions and all that. Life Motorsports that own that Nissan GTR that apparently have set all these time attack records. Like it's the fastest. GTR in in many different aspects, but they put in this power stroke and this riffraff diesel crew that was helping them just could not get it running right. And it DNF'd. It did not finish. They're lucky that they even got the chance to go on the hill because they couldn't even get it in practice. It wouldn't run right. So then they were wrenching on it till the moment they rolled up to the starting line till they actually was pushed to the starting line. Power stroke in a Nissan GTR. We were applauding because we knew how much it took to get them onto this race course. I think you need to uh, take your woohoo out of there and make this drop. So that was Pike's Peak, and um, I think what we're going to do is line up Scott and maybe Aaron to come on and uh, and give us the recap. That'd be cool. Now that they've had some distance between them and the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's part of racing, though. You have your bad days. You got to talk about it. Scott's never been shy about uh, sharing his feelings or any of that stuff. Like I, I don't think that he's sulking in a corner right now, being mad at himself. I think he's like, "Damn it! Next year we're going to do this." So yeah. I'm sure he's going to be ready to. Uh, Chit-chat all about it. Oh, yeah. He's, he's fired up. He learned a lot about that car, and I think he's going to take the LMP, the Le Mans prototype car, back to the hill. Oh, I really I'm, believe yeah, that. Yeah, I'm sure. The good part is, because of the crappy weather conditions, no one broke Scott's record. Old record, yeah. No one broke it, so the diesel record still stands. See, there you go. I got to get up there to see him. I was planning on getting up there in the next month or so, so maybe I'll uh, 
Uh, what is he like? He was gonna. Does he like Dr. Pepper? I'll what? bring it. Oh, what is he like? I don't know. Well, that's a good question. Oh, I don't know. He didn't eat much or drink much. He bought uh, water. Domino's. Him he water. bought Domino's pizzas. Nobody for, wants for everyone. Nobody wants Domino's pizza. <clears throat> no, I, outside I, of a race or yeah. a college dorm. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a uh, fun trip. I just got back from uh, thirty-two hundred miles in nine days. So that warrants a much deeper story than mine. Yeah, I'm not even going to talk about it in this episode. Um, I flew into Detroit, picked up uh, the Grand Wagoneer, picked up Jason in Chicago. We started at the Route 66 start sign and ended at the Santa Monica Pier. You stopped at every world's largest pecan ever, right? We tried to do everything that we could, and some of it was rushed, but it's definitely doable. Uh, the pace, we had a very aggressive pace, but I'll, I've got a lot of audio and stuff, and maybe next uh, next episode we'll do Route 66. But what was cool was when I landed in Detroit, our friends at Dana called me up and said, hey, are you coming through Toledo on your way to uh, Chicago? I said, yeah, probably. They're like, stop by the headquarters. We'll show you our R&D facility. So I got some uh, some audio nice. for this episode from being within the walls of Dana, and they showed me some of their uh, electrification stuff, how they build motors, how they test. It was really cool. So I'm glad I stopped off there. So we'll, we'll have that in this episode. And then we also uh, received a box that I have no idea what the contents are. Oh, really? You sure it's not a bomb? Well, don't shake it. What if it's got a motion sensor? Oh, I guess it already went wood off. It says uh, <laughs> Truck Fever LLC. Oh, no. This is Jordan. So maybe it is bomb. You want to do it now or you want to do it at the end? What if it, if it blows up? This show's it, over? Well, this show's over. Why don't we get no, to no, the no. end? This show blows. This place blows. Yes, oh, yeah, it this could. Pla- this place blows. I mean, do we save it for the end? I think we do. Uh, so anyway, yeah, no, uh, incredible, uh, incredible trip, uh, Route 66. Like I said, we'll, we'll talk about it next episode, but just wanted to point out anybody who's ever thought about doing that, like, absolutely go do it. It is amazing to drive through the middle of the country. Now, wait a minute. Hold on. When you're uh, straddling the 40 freeway in through, like, Arizona uh-huh. and such, Route 66 is pretty tore up. Yep. Did you drive all of it? Uh, so Jason and I did as much of Route 66 as possible. So when people hopped ahead to get an hour ahead on 40, Jason are like, nope, we didn't come here to drive on the 40. We and came here to drive on Route 66. So there are bridges, so very, very small bridges that have been washed out into yep. Arizona for sure, where they did not repair them. They're uh, like, San Bernardino right now just shut down Route 66 from uh, uh, Ludlow or Fenner all the way to Amboy. And so that's all shut down. So there's definitely places that you have to get on the freeway. And there's places where things end and you're sort of – like freeway bound for a little bit, but for all, I would say, realistically, we did ninety percent of Route sixty six. Wow, yeah, every every opportunity, uh, we we did have a one day that was a mishap that caused us to bypass some stuff in uh, uh, western New Mexico. I saw that you blew out a tire or something, right? Uh, well, we got that was a whole other thing. Yeah, we got a flat tire when we were out there. All right, we, we need the anyway, whole story. That'll, that'll yeah, be okay. next week. Okay, we'll, so, we'll so we've got Dana on this episode. All right, well, uh, this is going to be an action-packed show, even though uh, we've already delivered you all sorts of amazing Pikes Peak content. So uh, before we get into the show- <laughs> It's 20 minutes into the episode, and we haven't even gotten to the intro. I'm trying, but you're like, and then I went to dinner, and I ate Domino's pizza, and I oh, didn't say hi to the guy? Dude. Oh, God. Here yeah, we go. Mother Muffs is so good if you're in Old Town, Colorado. I think it's Old like, Town, Colorado? It, is there a name of the it's town? Old Town, Colorado. Yeah. It's, it's got to be in a place. It was, I want to say it was, uh, where were we? We were <laughs> in, uh, so Mother Muffs is in uh, Colorado Springs, and it's in their downtown okay, that area. Old Town, Colorado Springs is different than Old Town, Colorado. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right. I got it's it. It's in a real old part of Colorado. Dude, it was really neat, historic, but Mother Muffs. 
They had a light band. Oh, oh so good. I'll save it for another another time. No, this is your Pike's Peak opportunity. You're just gonna, we're gonna blow by it now. We sat in the front of Mother Muffs. We fell in love with the food and the and the and the wait staff. They were just friendly. It was super cool. And we're in this front part where they had a band playing, and it was just um, I don't know, pretty good size, hundred foot by hundred foot, and uh, and we kept seeing people throughout the weekend like walk into these doors but not come out, and we thought. Actually, it was Matt. He says, where, where are people going? And I go, I think it's just restroom and maybe they're leaving. And he goes, ah, okay. So at the very end of our last meal, we're about to leave town. You had he, to go. He walks through the yeah. doors and he comes back and he goes, dude, you got to go back there. And I said, go back where? He goes, go look. <laughs> I said, what? There, there can't be more restaurant. Like, it's pretty good size. I go through these doors. Oh, the gods, like, saying from the heaven, it was an amazing freaking bar, two levels uh, neon signs, people like rejoicing and have an amazing time. And it was like so insane that it was right on the other is side of the, the wall. Is that the point you took your mask off? Uh, no, we didn't have any masks on. <laughs> Dude, nobody was masked up up there. I couldn't believe how many Trump America. flags we saw too. Yeah, it's crazy. There's, there's, there's a lot. I was stunned. Dude, try, Colorado, try, try driving through middle America. Colorado, you think is a fairly liberal town. You know, the marijuana, the whole thing. But I saw a lot of Trump flags. I was stunned. So I'm just telling you, driving through middle America- so I went through, let's think about this. Uh, I went through uh, Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois. How many Trump 2024 flags Thousands. Did you see? Thousands. Oh, so Thousands. Uh, let's see. I went through uh, Kansas, uh, Missouri, uh, Oklahoma, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, California. Am I missing something? It's just so weird Dude. being here in Southern California, guys. Look, I know no, 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 no. We're not. No, we're, no, 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 no up, We're not being apologists, and we're back not getting up. the California back pompousness. Up. Back up, back no. up, back up. We're just saying. Uh, listen, if you live here or you live on the coast, go visit the middle of the country. It's awesome. That's what I'm saying. I agree. With we that. don't. We don't need to go any further. I agree with that. All right. So that's out of the way. Let's thank Nissan for uh, being a presenting sponsor, and thank you for making the GTR. By the way, I'm just saying it's an awesome car, and uh, people have fiddled with it and made it really strange lately. <laughs> okay, that <laughs> seems like a very, uh, very weird uh, intro. So I think everyone loves a GTR. Listen, Are there any GTR haters? The, Zero. No, it's not, none. It's Godzilla. It's amazing. Yeah. Anyway, the Truck Show Podcast is brought to you by. Nissan. And thanks to Nissan, this show has been going strong, or at least it stayed alive for the last four years. So mm-hmm. uh, if you're looking for a truck that can take you to uh, Mother Muffs? Mother Muffs, yes. Mother Muffs in Colorado Springs, then uh, there's no better choice than Nissan Frontier, Nissan Titan, or Nissan Titan XD. There were a lot of uh, Titans up in Colorado Springs. Uh, did you know that one of the, I think the number one Titan dealer is actually in Salt Lake City. Is uh, that massive. That's not in Colorado. I know it's not, but it's not that far away either. I mean, that part of the country. So they like their Nissans out there. Yes, they do. I like their Nissans here. Nissan Titan and uh, Titan XD come with the industry's best five-year, 100,000-mile warranty. And, of course, the uh, Frontier, if you can find one. Man, those things were everywhere on my Route 66 trip. So anyway, if you want to uh, pick yourself up a Nissan, head down to your local dealer. Or you can build them price at NissanUSA.com for the one that is perfect for you. And you know what else would be perfect for you? A Ram Air intake from Banks. How about a uh, Eco Diesel Racing uh, intake plenum? If you had one in a race car, that's what it's for. This is right. not for an eco diesel like in a Ram no, no, or no, no, a no. Jeep. I was talking about Scott Birdsall and other people who want to race. Well, with that then you go to the racing section on BanksPower.com and you uh, order yourself up a uh, racing intake manifold for your <laughs> one-off eco diesel powered Lamont prototype car. Okay, how about this? I have a race car 
But what's more important is the tow vehicle towing that race car. Do you have anything for my street legal tow vehicle? I mean, like we did with Scott Birdsall, who bolted on like three grand worth of Banks parts onto his <laughs> Ram 3500. He's like, hey, I have a race car. Can I have all the stuff for the tow rig to make sure the race car gets By there? By the way, he's got a nice stacker trailer. Yeah, he's got some a bunch of nice stuff. Yeah, he does. Listen, so, how about a, can, you, can you help me with an intake? Yes, Col- uh, Ram air intake. Yes. A tu- yep, yep. Can you help me with uh, air filtration? Uh, yes. Can you help me with gauges? You mean the iDash? Can you help me with uh, throttle pedal sensitivity? The pedal monster. Can you help me with uh, keeping my rear end cool? Not that rear end. No, not not my rear end. My rear end as in my truck rear end. Oh, your, yeah, your rear axle. Absolutely, with Ram Air rear differential cover. Yes, they can. Where can I go to take advantage of all these amazing parts for my tow rig? Go to bankspower.com and type in your year, make, and model to see what they've got for you. Now, what if we took said vehicle with all the Banks mods and we went out in the desert and got lost? I never get lost because uh, I use an app that you can download from either the Google Play or Apple App Store, and that is Onyx Maps and Onyx Off-Road, which is one of my favorite tools when I go out in the backcountry. There are thousands of off-road trails, public and private land info. You can save the maps for offline use, so even if you don't have a cell signal, you can use like traditional GPS and see where you are. You can customize it with markups, uh, add waypoints and campsites, where you parked your truck, add lines, create routes, share them with your friends. You can track, save, and share trips, and you can sync it with CarPlay or Android Auto so it shows up on the screen in your 4x4. That is awesome. If you're looking to have the best off-road navigation software out there, you want to go to onxmaps.com, and when you sign up, use Truck Show, and you get a discount. That code is still live? All you got to do is go to onyx.com, sign up, and then use it. The Truck Show. We're going to show you what we know. We're going to answer what the truck, because truck rides with The Truck Show. We have the lifted, we have the lowered, and everything in between. We'll talk about trucks that run on diesel and the ones that It's the Truck Show with your hosts, Lightning and Holman. (laughs) I think this broke the record for longest time between the start of the show and the intro. Well, I was wondering why you were doing a whole segment on your own. I mean, it's uh, 30 minutes into the episode and we just started. You commandeered the entire front half of the show. I just uh, wanted to get it. I wanted to purge. Apparently. <laughs> All right. Well, now that the purge is complete, uh, where are we going next? I mean, the honest answer is straight to hell, but I would prefer doing a little news first. I'm not going to hell. I'm going straight to the newsroom. And then after that, probably hell. What's new in trucks? We need to know. What's new in trucks? We need to know. What's new in trucks? We need to know. Lifted, lowered, and everything in between. What's happening in the world of trucks? Ah! Good. I love that. Do you hear that? The compressors like suck up the silence. It was uh, that was interesting. Yeah, that was good. All right. Uh, let's see here. Where to start? Where to start? How about uh, hey, lightning? Did you hear? By the way, have you been watching uh, Obi-Wan? No! You really haven't? No. Dude. I'm so burned out on Star Wars. I oh think my D- God. Disney is just pooping the bed no with every way. version of Star no Wars. No way. Possible. Dude, they did such a good job with Obi-Wan. Mandalorian, meh. Boba Fett, meh. Watched them all. Obi-Wan, way better. One of my favorites was Rogue One. Did you see Rogue One? I did see Rogue One. Rogue One was great. Answered all the questions that we had about four, five, and six. 
Oh, so good, so good. And then Obi Wan continues to fill in the gaps. Star Wars stuff. Oh my God! Listen, it was just so good. Listen, that's like if we were to do a show on food. Clearly, we are not the food experts. We shouldn't be talking about here. We are the truck experts, and that's the content we should stick to. Are you insane? Hell's wrong with you? Listen, I'm just saying. There's better barbecue people talk, guy. Talk about uh, a. All right, what you what you got? Uh, Ford. Have is, I heard? No, nah, I don't know. You already played. No, you oh, yeah. already played it. That's how this whole thing started. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> Ford is uh, doing a 2023 Ford F-150 Heritage Edition to celebrate 75 years of the F series. Mm-hmm. It is a uh, two-tone truck, and it's. <sighs> well, they say it's inspired. They say for the Diamond Jubilee celebration that these Heritage Editions are special models, and um, they took design cues with their paint job from uh, old trucks, and I just don't see it. All right. Show me what you're looking at. So it's you already hate two-tone. I so, always hate two-tone because so two, I love a tall truck. So it's two-tone on the bottom? Mm-hmm. And that then sure the top is. of the cab is is the other two tones. So it's black on the bottom, r- the red ribbon. Well, then, and this then... is like charcoal on the bottom and charcoal on the roof. Oh, got it. With red in the middle. Uh, you know, I don't hate it. It doesn't flow with that body style, though. Because no. they're just making a cut straight across. There's not like a, a natural place for the roof paint job to start. Uh, so I wouldn't own it, but I also don't hate it. There are some that I can't stand, and that's not one of them. That It's okay. Anyway, the uh, Heritage Editions are based on the Everyman F-150, the second from the bottom XLT trim, and then uh, other than special 75-year lettering on the windshield, similar notation on the startup animation on the gauge cluster display and on the center console, uh, the Heritage Edition wears uh, one of five of these unusual uh, multicolor paint jobs. Will they offer that uh, Heritage Edition in the uh, Lightning? Negative. This Damn. is the, uh, just the regular old- I'd love you to get a lightning so we can use the uh, electric electric output. Engine. So uh, we could turn on some goddamn air conditioning in this room. Damn, it's hot That wouldn't here. help us. How We can't park a vehicle in here. Uh, yeah, we could. Over here in the photo cove. That is way over there. We're in a four-sided box. I know, but we could power the AC because freaking Motor Trend won't run it after hours when we're here. <sighs> Dude, how hot is it in here right now? 80? Eight. No, it's probably 80. Anyway, depending on the primary body color, the dark areas are either carbonized gray or uh, a, a gate black, A G A T E. I never understood agate? that one. Agate? I don't it's think agate. it's a It's got to be a gate. There's no like a uh, little swooshy on the E. Anyway, hey Siri, how do you pronounce A G A T E? J, you are. I found this on the web for how do you pronounce a gadager and asshole. Check it out. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. Hey, listen, that's can, not exactly what I was looking for, Siri. Can, can I? Can I? We moved on from this story. Yeah, go ahead. Listen, the, the color the, the color combos are. Siri called us. Well, it's because I called you one. Yeah, that was she funny. Anyway, listen. Race red and carbonized gray. Atlas blue and agate black. Antimatter blue, carbonized gray. Avalanche agate black. Area fifty one agate black. Great, awesome. Moving right along. The hell is? Hold on a second. <sighs> hey Siri, what is agate black? I found this on the web for what is agate black. Check agate. Interesting. Agat. Listen, the problem is that yeah, none of these Agat. none of these tops are Wimbledon white. Okay, right. Anyway, moving right along. Hey, yeah. Lightning, did you hear? No, no, I did not. Uh, Chevy's been teasing trucks lately, and uh, the first one, the AEV Bison Silverado ZR2. AEV Bison. AEV American Expedition Vehicles and Chevy Partnership is yes. uh, uh, expanding for uh, for 2023. 
And uh, that means that the Bison treatment will be available on your Chevy from your local Chevy dealer, from, straight from the factory. So AEV put out a, a video at the same time Chevy did, same video, uh, each on their YouTube. And it's like the truck is silhouetted in this like you know, really dark so you can't see all the lines on it and stuff. But I went through frame by frame and was able to pick out the important cues. So Did you increase the exposure and try and brighten it up like they did? Nah, Remember I, when they did it with the Hummer? For that. And everyone exposed. They, they brought in yeah. Photoshop and increased the brightness. And they're like, oh, I can see the whole truck now. All right. So here's what we're able to uh, see. So the, And the press release didn't give us much to go off. It just said more information coming in summer and blah, 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 right? All right, so we were able to pick out a bunch of unique AV badging, what appears to be a GM fitment of AV's popular Crestone wheel. Uh, my guess is it's going to be wrapped in a 35. And the reason I say that is because the new ZR2 is a 33. And AV always likes to have a bigger tire. So I'm guessing if you get AV badging, you get a bigger tire. That's my guess. Okay. So I'm hoping for 35. Sounds legit. I may, I may be wrong. Uh, full underbody skid plating and unique styling and badging. So in the very first uh, screen capture, we can see that the front bumper is unique, has round driving lights, uh, and the mesh trim in the pocket kind of gives it away because it doesn't match what's on the ZR2. And I just got back from the Silverado ZR2 drive not too long ago, so I was picking out all the details from my photos of it. And it appears to be the same actual grill, but now the Flow Tie logo doesn't have the red trim. Oh. It looks like uh, they, a little modification there. Uh, the video then transitions to the underbody, so it's full skid plating, similar to the Colorado Bison. There's a rear differential skid, uh, and if we know what we know about AV, we're going to guess that all that is hot stamped boron steel, which is an ultra-high-strength press-hardened steel that's lighter and stronger. I think it's like 35% lighter than traditional steel. And then they move the uh, to the rear view, and we see the multiflex tailgate, uh, you know, Multiflex has two sections. The middle section is black, kind of like how AV um, paints their Prospector XL tailgates. Oh. So, uh, and then it also shows a black Chevy logo. And uh, the rear bumper is absolutely hidden in the shadows. So we're guessing that there'll be some rear bumper modifications like a crash bar or a slider like there is on the Colorado. And then there's this really cool looking part. No idea what it is. Uh, what, it, what do you mean? It cool looks looking part. It's just they showed this close up of a part, and it's hinged. Where and it has the, a, the exactly has the AV logo, and we looked at it from a bunch of different angles. We're like, I have no idea what this part well, is. Is is it part of the existing picture, or is it a separate picture all on its own? No, no, it's part of the video. Oh, okay. and then you're going. So they, they just, highlight it. They you, cut away, and it's very moody. Uh, view whatever. Of this. Yeah, it's just it's showing you pieces of the truck. Camera's doing its thing, and then there's this part. And you're like, what the hell is that? No idea. Is it like a cooler or something? No, it looks like it's hinged, but the whole video is about the exterior, not the interior. So, you know, my, my whole thing is maybe it's fun to not know everything. It's hinged. And let let me more see this. Hold on just a second. Can you play me that part? Let me see the I'll hinged show you, part. I'll show you the, the picture here. Okay. Let me see the photograph of the uh, still from the video. You tell me what the heck this thing is. Okay. Uh, now, what do you see? You say it's hinged. Where, where are you seeing it hinged? Well, there's a gap right here. That's obviously some piece that comes apart. Mm, no, I don't think so. Of course you don't. Think don't. So. I don't think that comes apart. That is a... Uh, oh, I wonder if that's a gill. Like, you know, we're on the uh, the Raptor, like uh, just behind no, the front there's, fender. No, there's no air pocket. It's just a styled piece of plastic that has an AEV logo on it. Mm. Is it... The hood? Is it a hood scoop or the top, like an applique for the hood? Oh, interesting. And, and then they're turning the camera on its side? I don't know. Oh, wow. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a good one. We don't need to belabor it, but at the same time, it's sort of- I don't of, know what that is. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Anyway, uh, I, I think that's pretty rad. And then to top it off, 
right after that, well, I guess a, a few days later, Chevy teased with a video of the new Colorado ZR2. Oh. So uh, it's kind of interesting. I um, This one is is the, the front end's kind of weird looking, and it's got some sort of a, a safari bar on the front. From yeah, the factory. Like a, is that a safari or a bull bar? No, they're calling it a safari bar in the disclaimer at the bottom of the video. Huh. Okay. So anyway, it shows this safari bar for bashing into stuff, I guess. This is not the AEV Bison version of it. This is just the straight Colorado ZR2, and you can clearly see the lights. Uh, the tail lights look kind of uh, kind of cool, a little bit different, more Silverado-like. Uh, it says Chevrolet across the uh, rear tailgate, spelled out. But when you see the side shots, even though they're at a distance, it's clearly... Uh, the Colorado kind of uh, shape to the cab, right? Like the way the windows and stuff are, it's very, very similar to, to uh, today's truck. So that signature looks there. But it does look like it has bigger tires. I'm going to say it's 33s instead of 31s. are definitely bigger than today's truck. And the truck itself looks maybe a little bit bigger in the images. And it has one of those super ugly bed sport bars that I hate and all yeah. the manufacturers need to stop putting on oh my their God. trucks. And but it has an LED light bar. So many top. guys have the Ram bars on the uh, the TRXs. Uh, they're Blah. all ugly. Blah. I don't care what every manufacturer is doing it right now. Stop and it. They're, they're hideous. Stop that, guys. If yeah. you have one of those, uh, what do you call them? Not headache racks. It's like a sport bar. Sport bar. Just come on. 1988 calls and they want their tubular structure back. Yeah, but it's not even that. They're, they're basically like tubes, but then they put this like sail panel in all of them yeah. that, that's laser cut with the logo, and it's just all powder coated. And it just, it, it uh, just me, looks it's like you paid some dude in yeah. a shop class to cut it out with a plasma torch. Yeah, I mean, it's... Stop uh, it. I don't know. Stop it's it, not people. not my favorite. Hey, Lightning, did you hear? No! God, please, no! No! I don't think so. Uh, the new 2024 Ford Super Duties have been uh, spotted out in the wild. Oh, yeah. I actually uh, did see that. Yes. Did you see the... Weird uh, Lincoln chain headlights? No. I I don't know know how to explain it. It sort of looks like the King Ranch logo on its side, sort of. And then it's got nostrils in the grill. Oh, that is the kind of King Ranch logo in the LED and the DRL that's wrapping uh, the perimeter of the Yeah, And then the grill is a lot lower. It's it's like there's a lot more hood and a lot less grill. Interesting. I wonder why they did that because they need cooling, which you'd expect it to be larger. I mean, and they but, but look at that. The cooling, the grill looks a lot smaller You're than right. today's grill on the ah. prototypes. And that's an F450, I'm guessing, by the front tires. So I, it's it's Now, weird. wait a minute. Can you get the Godzilla with the F450? I have no gas, idea. Gas, because the gas uh, cooling stack uh, might be smaller. No, but that's not, it's not going to change your body style. Uh, you're right. Good point. You know, it's just the engine. Yeah. They were uh, spotted testing near Kingman, Arizona, but uh, I, I I don't know if it's an improvement over today's mm. truck. I, I quite like today's truck. Um, yeah, the new uh, the F series right know. now they're they're on fire. I, they, some of the best bodies they've Ford has ever released, in my opinion. And then the other uh, the other side of it too is uh, apparently if you look at the I guess the rear bumper. Uh, Ford is doing, at least on the prototypes, it looks like they have the steps in the rear bumper. Okay, smart. So similar to some of the other brands like General Motors, smart. Uh, who have also included that step. So I don't. I gotta say, like uh, hanging out with Jason Scher, uh the three-time Ultra Ford champ, he uh, was driving a, a 2022 Raptor. I think we've talked about it on the last episode. And man, that truck is just so sweet inside. They really did a nice job with the all the Fords have just really stepped up with the interiors. Still not a Ram. No, it's not. I'm just saying they they, they they're they're better. They they're better. GM's better, but 
Hard to beat. Uh, hard to beat the Rams. True. I, think, I think Ram caught a lot of people uh, flat-footed. Would be my uh, my my comment to that. Hey, lighting, did you hear? No, I don't think so. Uh, California is looking at uh, incentivizing swapping internal combustion engines to EVs, which is something that might uh, help the enthusiast aftermarket to uh, play with EVs. It sounds like uh, if this bill is passed by the California Senate Transportation Committee and then uh, eventually gets uh, made into law, AB 2350 uh, will become a bipartisan assembly bill sponsored by SEMA, and it would encourage people to go EV by doing a swap rather than purchasing a whole new vehicle. And it looks like uh, the idea is we'll allocate up to $2 million annually from the Clean Vehicle Rebate Program, and you could receive up to $2,000 per EV swap, <laughs> which uh, EV swaps are uh, prohibitively expensive. Yeah. We're talking twenty dollars to $50,000. And uh, this would uh, help take the edge off that just a little bit. Do hmm. you know anything about that personally? Hmm. No, I don't. What do you what do you what would you like to know? I'm I'm wondering if you have any personal experience with EV swaps. I do not. I would I I would absolutely love to explore that space. Okay. Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> I'm not no. Okay. You can move I'm, on. I'm listen. I won't I'm, I won't pry any further. No, I'm just saying I find it fascinating and I think listen, from an EV standpoint, uh-huh. I don't think you're probably why, why are you playing with your knife right now? Are you going to cut me? This is my Benchmade coming open. I, I know. And I'm just I'm pointing. <laughs> Don't point it at I'm pointing me. at lightning here. Listen, um, here's my thought on it. I think that in the enthusiast space, that EV is a very interesting. I think as your primary vehicle, we're not there yet. And as your towing, hauling vehicle, cross country, you're not there yet. If your circle is 100 miles radius or less. Then it makes sense. And you have a charge, charging at work or home where you could you know top off. I think that's awesome. It's a great secondary vehicle yep. if you have your primary vehicle. But the reason I think it makes sense for enthusiasts is- Because um, it hauls ass. It's fast. Yep. It's quiet. So you're not hastening our own demise by having like glass packs, although that's still part of the fun. Right. But the way I'm thinking about it noise is- Noise is fun, dude. No, I, I agree. But but EVs don't not make noise. Well, I mean- They're just, It's just different. Well, I mean- Now, I'd rather hear the EV gear noise than that. This went on forever, dude. Like it is right now? This is not a loop. This is like maybe one-tenth of the time this lasted. Can we end it? Sure. All right. My point is, I think in a vintage vehicle that only gets driven once a month on Sundays or something like that, EV's kind of interesting because you don't have to worry about oil changes. You don't have to worry about gas going bad. You don't have to worry about your car getting you know varnished. And you do what? You t- replace your brake fluid and your coolant every two or three years? Yeah. I mean, think about it. That might be an interesting Do you hear this, ladies and gentlemen? Do you hear this? I think a case can be made for enthusiasts. And I'm not, listen, I'm not a a, a hardcore EV guy, but I'm curious about this. I'm I'm EV curious. Let me just put it out there like that. (laughs) You're bike curious? No. Oh, that's different. (laughs) No, I'm ACDC curious. I see. Hey, Lightning, did you hear? What? No. I don't think so. Uh, The Silverado Heavy Duty spy photos have been uh, circulating. With the new HD interior. Hmm. And it looks like it's got the big old screen of the 1500. Oh, really? So, now, remind me, this screen is, this is landscape, right? It's, so a it's landscape. Like a, it's a 13.4, I believe. And the driver information version is a 12.0. And the heads-up display is color, configurable, 15 inches. 
Wow. So there's a lot of uh, screen stuff going on. Although the uh, Grand Wagoneer has just in, had 74 inches of screens in it. Yeah, screen that's, after screen after uh, screen. I screen. mean, that's just too much. It's amazing. I mean, it's great. So anyway, it looks like the interior from the half ton is going to uh, marinate uh, or uh, percolate or No, uh, I don't think it does bubble, any of those things. Bubble over up, into? Up. Yeah. Bubble up into the heavy duties. So uh, you guys get to uh, see a, a nice interior too. Hey, Lightning, did you hear? No! No, I did not. Uh, another spy photo story, this uh, this time also from Ford. It looks like the uh, all-wheel drive Ford Maverick hybrid seems to be in the works. There's been a few spy photos of the Maverick looking like, uh, I don't know, back to the future with like uh, wires and modules uh, stapled to the rear door. Huh? So keep in mind that the uh, the Maverick entry-level vehicle is front-wheel drive. And if you want the all-wheel drive with the uh, Osmo Turbo 4, um, that is the step-up engine. So the truck in the spy photos is an all-wheel drive version, but that's not for sale. And so the thought is, you know, Ford wanted to keep it simple in the first couple years or first year or so. So now it looks like Ford is going to be moving forward with an all-wheel drive hybrid. So that's, uh, I think that's pretty cool. So It is cool. That's going to be, uh, in Colorado, we went to this uh, race shop up in the hills, some guy's personal garage, and he had a brand new Maverick, uh, an interesting yellow, kind of the same yellow as this uh, bag of M&Ms right here. That is very close to that yellow. And speaking of which, while you tell that uh, new story, I'm going to have a couple. All right, so uh, the news is that the Maverick was designed for a hybrid all-wheel drive design from the start, even though it didn't launch with that. You can't hear me too. And you? the front-wheel drive Maverick hybrid has a 1.1 kilowatt hour battery, so it only takes up the passenger side of the raised rear floor. So... If you're thinking what goes on the uh, space in the driver's side, well, guess what? It might be extra battery capacity for the mm. all-wheel drive version. Should be interesting. Uh, and then on the sensor box that's uh, hanging on the outside of the rear door, it's marked 2.1 liter. Uh, so does that mean that the system's 2.1? Uh, the current Maverick Hybrid uses a 2.5 liter. And then the uh, EcoBoost and the all-wheel drive is a 2.0 liter. But on the same sensor box, it also says PF, which is plug-in hybrid electric vehicle. Mm-hmm. So who knows? Maverick, all-wheel drive, hybrid, coming at some point. Hey, Lightning, did you know? Did I know? Good God in heaven, there are just so very many ways for me to say this to you. Never, not in a million years, absolutely not. No way, Jose, no chance, Lance, and yet, negatory, mm-mm, nah, uh-uh. And of course, my own personal favorite of all time, man falling off of a cliff. No! So, no, no is the answer. Uh, did you know that... Uh, General Motors had a thousand horsepower SUV before the Hummer. What you talking about, Willis? So, if you remember, there were prototype V16 Cadillac engines uh, that were running around, and uh, that was the 2003 Cadillac 16 concept, which was a, a gorgeous car. I do not recall that at all. Where apparently uh, the V16 was put in a Yukon what? at one point. What? Yeah, it was what? a 13.6 liter behemoth that was based on GM's uh, LS small block V8 architecture. It wasn't a mishmash, though, because every piece of the engine was purpose-built by the company that supplied engines to uh, Corvette Racing, uh, K-Tech engines, I guess is how you pronounce it. So uh, apparently it was called the XV16, and it used a completely custom block with a one-piece LS6 derived head. And they were apparently uh, so massive they didn't even fit in K-Tech CNC machines, which is kind of crazy. The uh, engine alone reportedly weighed 695 pounds and was 45 inches long. <laughs> and then uh, power was 1,000 horsepower and 980 pound-feet of torque. Um, 
by the way, it uh, only uh, revved like 6,000 RPM, which who cares? Because yeah. you have uh, 1,000 horsepower and 980 pound-feet of torque. So I guess they uh, extensively modified a GMT-800 platform Yukon to fit one of these engines. Anyway, there's a, a story about it. You can find it uh, in, in Hot Rod. Um, but it's funny because uh, apparently they said they never, ever did wide-open throttle on it. Really? Which is kind of funny. What? That's tragic. It basically said that uh, it was reported to be able to spin the Yukon wheels through as many gears as they had guts to go through. <laughs> so pretty, pretty hilarious. So anyway, a little piece of GM trivia back then. Uh, search for the XV16 or the uh, V16 Yukon. You'll find it on Hot Rod or online. So there should be uh, some stories. I just thought that was kind of interesting because... I mean, we're chasing that magic thousand you know, pound feet of torque. We just crossed it in diesel. You're right. seeing it in the now thousand horsepower on the EV side. But here was this old internal combustion monster, what, almost 20 years ago? Yeah. That was doing it back then. So just kind of cool to, to think I mean, of all the things that never came out. Here's what I'd love. Well, look at back. I mean, so I've been doing this podcast with, with Gail, Beat School podcast with Gail Banks, and he was building 1,200 horsepower Firebirds back in the mid-80s. Cars that went Insane. over 200 miles an hour. Uh, yeah, half those cars, I wouldn't want to go over 70. When exotics like Ferraris and yeah, Lamborghinis, they weren't going that fast. Yeah, they, yeah. they weren't going that fast. He was building 1,200 horsepower twin-turbo cars. Well, that's why he's the in godfather. In freaking 80s. Yeah. The 80s, my Here, brother. Here's what I want. I want any of our listeners who are historians or know about programs that are dark inside the manufacturers that maybe you were a part of, some sort of truck program lore, like something that didn't come out. For example, I'll tell you a little piece that I knew about is I saw the Hummer. This would be a great deep dive. Of course. I saw the Hummer HX before. What is that? The Hummer HX? That was the little Jeep Wrangler fighter based on the Hummer H3 platform Ah. that never saw the light of day because they killed Hummer before it came out. And also, if you remember, the 4.5 liter baby Duramax. And the truck it was supposed to go in was a Hummer H2 SUT long bed. And those were all things that I saw before the company went and then oh, killed off Hummer. Hummer. So there was a bunch of cool stuff coming for Hummer that never saw the light of day. And if you somehow have a story like that or you know about some history that we should research, I will personally research it. Hit me up at Sean P. Holman on uh, Facebook or uh, Instagram. Hit me up and let me see what I can dig up on it. But if you have a piece of history like that, I'd love to uh, share that. All right, Lightning, one more. Did you hear? No. No, I don't think so. Uh, mechanic Matthew Gioge raked in $10 million for selling uh, devices and tuners, which made trucks produce hundreds of times more pollution, prosecutors have said. And he was recently sentenced to a year in prison for selling thousands of devices for basically allowing trucks to uh, roll coal. He's 35 years old out of Hendersonville, North Carolina, pled guilty last year to violating the Clean Air Act and tax evasion. And so in addition to the prison term, he was ordered to pay $1.3 million in fines to the EPA and $1.2 million in back taxes and penalties. Uh, dude, this is what we've been telling you. You think that they aren't watching and they don't know who you are. This dude is finding out that they know. Federal prosecutors say that between 2008 and 17, Geoge, G-E-O-U-G-E, sold around 14,000 kits <laughs> known as tuners or defeat devices that help shut off the emission system on mostly diesel-powered pickup trucks. Dude, so 14,000 at a minimum of 500 bucks a pop. Uh, minimum, right? right? Yeah. 
He made some money, so he probably stashed away some cash. Well, you hope. Maybe thinking he, he was going to get popped. Maybe, he's, right? maybe he has to sell his house now or something. Oh, yeah. I mean, some drivers, uh, according to the article, believe that the federally mandated control systems drastically inhibit the performance of their trucks. What? I've never heard anyone in our, uh, you know, in our world say that before. Only tens of thousands. Sounds like he was uh, out tailoring software programs uh, to uh, to get around all that, and obviously, uh, that's a big no-no. And people are finding out. It says, wait, uh, whoa, 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 whoa! Pump the brakes. Are you saying that if I remove the emissions equipment from my truck, that's not allowed? Not if you're in Mexico, you're good. <laughs> Don't hasten the demise of our sport. I know you love this. I know you hate your DPF and all that, but they're coming. Just Uncle Jay and Uncle Sean are just letting you know. <laughs> Why we have to be uncles? Yeah, we're just like the, the the cool uncle who we've been there before, and we're wise, and we're just telling them, "Listen, you're going to do what you're going to do, but we're just we're just throwing it out there." Or do or they are we the buzzkill uncles that are like, "Why are you smoking that reefer over there? You're just going to kick those brain cells right out of your noggin and gonna be a dumbass. Stop smoking." Yes, and then they go. Nah, bro. I enjoy it. And then they find out they're smoking fentanyl, and then they drop dead. (laughs) And then we're like, we told you, but we couldn't say we told you because you're dead. Okay? Yeah. yeah. So don't die. That's what we're saying. Don't go to jail. Don't go to prison (laughs) over over selling defeat devices. Come on now. Yeah. Wise up. Come on. This is the 2020s. (laughs) (laughs) You sound ridiculous. Uh, I know. Let's get out of the news. I'm, I'm, I'm over the sad, sad news. Let's get into something cool. So, Holman, you're going to give us a little expose on Dana. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, so we've uh, had Dana on when I went winter driving with their EV stuff, and I got invited back to their R&D facility to actually see how all those components come together and how they're tested, which is really cool. So I figured, let's, uh, oh, you know what? This is perfect. You were just complaining we haven't had a chance to do a deep dive. Are you Boom. saying this is this a deep is dive? Dude, deep dive. Play your stupid jingle. Really? Don't, oh, how dare you desecrate I mean, the jingle. play your awesome jingle. Prepare to dive. Prepare to dive. Hi, Captain. Captain, we're too deep. Nah, there's no such thing as too deep. Okay, that was too deep. Is that a jingle or is this a storytelling hour? <laughs> All right. Well, the show's over, guys. We have extra no extra time to bring yep. you anything else. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Do we have time? Do you Just, have time to tell your story? Uh, I hope so. Okay. Let's see what Dana has going on. All right. I found my way to uh, beautiful Ohio to the uh, Dana complex down here and with uh, Seth Metzger. And uh, thanks for the invite out. Yeah, of course. Glad to have you here. So uh, this is a, a room off the lobby filled with a bunch of Dana goodies, and I'm thinking, can I take any of this home in my Grand Wagoneer and uh, bolt them under my Jeep? You know, those axles over there would look good under the GPW. I was thinking about those large commercial axles on the wall. I think that'd be a perfect fit for your new GPW. But, so like, this is a, a room, this is just kind of a first introduction, just gives you a view to the, the heritage of Dana. Like in the, in the corner there, we've got log books from like 1906. Those are actually the... The old, uh, um, the old books that we used to, to, to track transactions and handle the accounting. Um, but then you can see all the different markets and markets that we serve. Um, on the wall, these large commercial uh, vehicle axles. Uh, these are for, say, a Class A truck. You see the axles there. Those are actually the axles that are there in the uh, Jeep Wrangler. Uh, so proud to have those here. And then on the wall here. Now, that is the weirdest looking uh, thing I think I've ever seen. So the, it, I'll... Hard to explain, but it's basically a massive square tubed axle 
There's a uh, transfer case in the middle between them. Is that, is that a hydraulic pump? Yep. Zach says hydraulic pump. The Okay, so. Because it's, it's for like an off-road, off-highway. It's like a loader or a, a. loader, exactly right. Yeah, so actually many construction sites, if you're actually on a construction site and you, you look at, say, uh, articulated boom lift or, sure. or something, um, you know, whether it's in residential or commercial areas, most of them, a lot of them have these products. And you, you can actually look underneath them and you'll see the, the Spicer uh, emblem underneath them. They're really interesting. They're big articulated axles. Uh, typically, they're held, uh, you know, in the center on a center pivot, and then um, these are designed so that you can change the blades where, where the U bolts go, basically, yeah, to attach basically them. We're going to hook the yeah. uh, hook the suspension. So it's funny. I don't know if you guys saw. There's a, uh, a perfect tick. for GPWs. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's a uh, well, the wheelbase is right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so uh, there was a video that was on TikTok or something. It shows a, a guy in a loader and he's doing like a motocross course. Yeah. And he takes the loader and hits one of the jumps at like 20 miles an hour and just airs it out with the bucket on the front and everything. Oh yeah. It's oh, like. Yeah. Uh, those must have uh, Spicer uh, axles under it because uh, sure it do. suffered no damage. And we, we have, uh, we actually, I mean, little known to, to kind of the truck space, uh, this is a huge segment for us. We're very, very strong in the off-highway market, um, especially in the construction area. So, Well, we got, uh, got a lot of guys listening right now who they drive these every day. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, this they're probably listening to me going, you idiot, this is, yeah. my whole life is this thing. Dana, yeah, Dana axles, uh, transfer cases. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's a Dana transfer case. We also have Dana transmissions as well. Um, they're either you know conventional drive line uh, brakes, yeah, conventional uh, drive line with a you know a diesel engine or something. Uh, hydrostat units where there's a lot of different architectures in kind of this segment, but you could have a hydrostat unit where an engine's driving a pump, and then the hydrostat unit actually drives it, or electrified, which is what we'll we'll show you in some of the rooms here coming next. Awesome. And then finally, I uh, can't can't miss uh, our technologies group. Um, we actually make and it's it's not as visible as the axles and the transmissions, but when you look at the engines. We make a lot of the, the sealing technologies or thermal management technologies inside of engines. So you can kind of see with this cutaway, uh, we actually make the um, uh, multi-layer head gasket. So wait just a cotton picking minute. Really, I thought they just did axles. Data does uh, electric motors. They do gaskets, head gaskets, things like that. They do hydrostat. They do um, all sorts of like locking gear-based things. They do uh, is this all-wheel new, drive systems. Or have they always done these things? I know. They, I mean, it's a, people don't realize that Dana is this massive company, and they have their fingers in so many different parts of the industry, which is why I thought it was cool to visit the headquarters because I kind of get to bring some of this to uh, to the Truck Show but podcast d- listener. Did, did you know that they made all these yeah. Uh, yeah. Accou- accoutrements? Accoutrement. The accoutrement that you will need. Accoutrement. So we're looking at a uh, four-cylinder. Is this a, a two-liter out of a Jeep or something? Something like that. Something like that. And then this is uh, much a larger, uh, much larger diesel engine. Yep. So uh, uh, and these we make uh, we make cam covers. Yep. Um, again, uh, intelligent uh, gas. A, a famous manufacturer who makes <laughs> six-cylinder uh, straight six diesels for your truck. Looking at one of those. Yeah, it's uh, I can't quite figure out. I can't put my uh, my thumb on it, but it looks cool as a cutaway uh, here on the stand. Yeah. All right. Now that I've checked in and got my badge. We are in a uh, large, brightly lit conference room that you can do surgery on the white tables. And there's a bunch of uh, shiny uh, chrome and blue electric drivetrains, axles, motors, all sorts of cool stuff. So if you guys remember from our uh, winter driving episode, that was with Seth and, and Zach. Zach was in the Gladiator with the tracks. And so uh, now I guess I'm seeing it and it's 80 outside and not 20. So. <laughs> That's correct. That's correct. 
So just going back to uh, when I drove the Gladiator that had the uh, tracks on it. Right. Zach was the uh, in the passenger seat. That was sort of his build. And then uh, Seth was there. He's the one who invited me out. He's the VP uh, who, who got me inside. So uh, if you heard, you know, the front part, the first room we did was in the, right off the lobby. Then I had to check with security and do all this. And then I was taken back through some uh, glass doors and through a few uh, restricted areas. To... Did they have to put their uh, thumbprint into the... Uh... Monitor to something, open the, something like that. To open the doors. What's funny though, it's it's like uh, they're like no cameras, no this, no that, restricted, 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 and I'm like I'm just recording on my phone, and nobody <laughs> nobody's questioning me. I, so I'm like, and yes, I completely behave myself. I did not steal any photos or anything. I, I I obeyed the rules. I just thought it was funny that I'm walking around with my phone like in my hand up in people's faces, and people they're like, yeah, yeah. but it's audio. What are you gonna do? Well, no, you know, I know, but it's my clearly my phone has a camera on it though, right? Most places put a sticker over it so that you can't use your camera. Oh, is that true? Yeah. I've oh, never yeah. seen a sticker it's a ta- over it. a tamper-proof sticker. Anytime really? I go to Ford or GM or Chrysler or any of those places, security puts a tamper-proof sticker over the Do camera. Do they put it over the lens? Or you, we, we all have over, cases, right? Yeah, they take your case off, put it over all the lenses, front, rear, everything, and then they put it on your case. And what happens when you peel the sticker apart, it void shows up. Because of the different tackiness of the sticker. Sure, it's like so, uh, your registration on your uh, license plate, right? Something like that. Uh, so this is our customer centricity room. Uh, this is a room that we use to display all of our future products. Um, so we showed you at the very beginning some, some of our heritage, which yep. you, you, of course, know real well. Um, you can see the large monument here in the, uh, <laughs> in the center. Uh, this is what we call our 08E axles. Uh, so every one of our major market segments is transitioning to electrification. At what point does that that wall open up and an oracle in a white like this smock? Is, is this one right here? <laughs> this one opens up. You have to understand, we're in this all white room. The floor is white. The tables are white. The chairs are white. And it's like wall to ceiling glass on one side with like, I, I'm sure there's a partition that can shut all that off. And then, like, you could tell they're removable walls. So it's like I, I feel like in, in, like, a spaceship in a sci-fi world, and I'm waiting for the Oracle to glide in without any, you know, any legs or something go, oh, <laughs> future of Dana this way. You know, it was, uh, was kind of cool. Literally, uh, we're looking at uh, your 08E axles, so uh, Class 8 uh, semi-truck rear axles, electrified. And they, there's two on a stand, and it almost touches the ceiling. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, and this this kind of shows where you're where you're going for those class eight axles. So you can reflect on the the axles you saw on the <laughs> sure. wall in the other room. Well, now this includes you know the the motor is integrated, the inverter on top. All this structure here is the transmission. So this is a three speed transmission, um, and then the rest of the beam structure that you're you're very familiar with. So. Um, you can easily see how those platforms will be electrified in the future. How far, how many years are they working in advance? Meaning, are they working on 2026 uh, It doesn't really parts? work. Well, yes and no. So it doesn't really work that way. A manufacturer is working in advance, uh, you know, five years probably. And I'm not saying like a company or a supplier like Dana isn't, but a supplier like Dana or some of their competitors have like a menu of solutions and then it's up to the OE to pick out from that menu and say, we want to put this on our future car, and then they develop along the lines for that. Okay. So there's both – it's sort of like there's a concurrence of future tech going on, but also optimizing current tech that can easily be plugged in in any of these places. So some of them are 
if you have to look at it, like a completely holistic has to be part of the chassis. And some of these, like, uh, you know, for the instance of like a skateboard platform and an RDU, like a rear drive unit that has, you know, uh, it's, it's for an all wheel drive electric car and maybe it has a clutch pack in it and it has to be integrated with the chassis so that it can deliver power and, and act like it has a locker and do torque vectoring. Or maybe on a e-axle where it's a motor on a differential, well, that can just, you know, all the suspension mounts are the same. You put them under a Jeep, well, that works for today. So there's there's kind of simultaneous tracks going on. And I'm sure they didn't show me anything that's 10 years in the future or anything, but I certainly saw a lot of really neat stuff. Uh, we also have several products here for light vehicle. Um, I know you get to, you know, experience some of those at winter tests. Mm-hmm. Um, this is just another example. And We'll show you kind of the, the next step version of this in the garage. So these are basically, uh, for you guys listening, a solid axle that has an integrated electric motor on the axle. And as we talked about before, the benefit of that is uh, no drive shafts. And so your limit to articulation and all that is really your links and suspension. But at, at the end of the day, it's the wiring harness and how that tucks up into the vehicle as the axle goes through its motion. So, uh, but it allows you to take a standard vehicle and electrify it on a solid axle, which is something that would be great for the Jeep that we drove with you guys or even a uh, solid axle pickup truck or things like that uh, in sort of this, I guess, this transitional phase that we're in currently as the market sort of changes toward the electric stuff. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then over here, uh, we'll show you some of the, maybe some of the components. Uh, so the motor, the inverter, and uh, in a bit more detail. Yeah, so uh, maybe explain to people what's all required. I think you know when you go into an internal combustion engine, you have an engine, you have a transmission, you have a drive shaft, you have differential that goes out to wheels and tires. A little bit different on an electric vehicle. Um, while it's sort of familiar to look at in terms of wheels, tires, and maybe even axles, everything in between is a lot different. Yeah, that's correct. Um, <clears throat> so first off, obviously the engine uh, engine is gone. Transmissions may maintain dependent on the different architecture. Uh, kind of the interesting thing about the space, and particularly the time that we're in right now in this transition, is that the architectures really aren't set. I mean, we're, we're still, everyone's trying to figure out what is the optimum architecture for a certain platform. Um, in some cases, it makes sense to integrate the electric motor, um, the uh, the inverter, uh, the, the transmission and the gear drive, basically everything all into one unit and put that basically in the vehicle. Uh, so you see that with, you know, say electrified F-150 and, and a lot of the platforms that you've been talking about. Other platforms, it doesn't make that sense. It, it, you would want to maintain the drive shaft. You want to maintain the axle and maybe just put in a direct drive, uh, direct drive motor basically to move the vehicle. So that'd be the difference between, let's say, uh, on a Rivian, for example, you might have uh, a on-axle motor or a rear drive unit where it's it's inboard. It's not an in-wheel motor. It's an on-axle motor versus something that might be retrofitted where you want to keep that rear drive shaft and rear suspension architecture in that vehicle so that you put everything basically... Um, Think about Magneto, mm-hmm. the concept, yep, where exactly. the motor was ahead of the transmission, everything downstream was very familiar, and it just depends on, again, to your point, what the application and use case is for those different things. Exactly, exactly. When you And when you get to the off-highway space, it's it becomes even more uh, complicated or interesting because, you you know, there, there's different applications that you want to have um, basically propulsion in the wheels uh, or basically in the hubs. We'll show you some examples when we get into the lab. Um, but that, that might be the best architecture where instead you, you previously had a hydrostatic unit or something, you replace those now with motors in the basically uh, power in a planetary. 
Um, or you could be maintaining the hydrostat units or the you know pump drives, and you're powering a pump with an electric motor. So a lot of different architectures. Um, you know, the interesting thing about Dana is we, we've invested to, to have the right portfolio to cover all of those different segments, regardless of which architecture is the right one. And I think that you see other suppliers are kind of doubling down in one area. You guys literally have a solution for anything that a customer might need. Yeah, that's correct. So on, the, on the wall here, you're, we're looking at, uh, I guess, uh, are these batteries here or no, controllers? No, or are these? Uh, these are controllers. controllers? Uh, so these, um, the best terminology, these basically are uh, inverters. So you can think about it. Um, you've got an electric motor. Mm-hmm. You have to power the electric motor somehow. So you have to decide, you know, how, how am I going to control this thing? That's basically what the inverter does. It takes the uh, current from the battery, and then it converts into useful, useful energy uh, for the motor. Um, you've got a, a full range of products here for, uh, for low-voltage inverters, uh, some that are just uh, single inverters, some that are, are double inverters, uh, dependent on the, the vocation, uh, as well as the high-voltage inverters as well. And then um, over here on the far right, these are actually uh, control units. Um, so basically, uh, ECU would be yeah, the basically you know, analogous to that, right? Exactly. In, a, in exactly. an ICE vehicle. Yeah, we've got a full portfolio of vehicle control units. Uh, these are, are really specialized for electric vehicles. Um, charge controllers, uh, BMS or battery management systems. Like traction management, yeah. uh, pedal input, output, yeah. things well, like that. Would, you would basically you put that software into, In, the, right. into this thing. Mm-hmm. So. So they're not just a hard parts company. Man, this no. is just blowing my mind. No, and in fact, if you if you look at the controllers, you talk about like let's say a pedal monster, right? So Bank sells a pedal monster, and that pedal monster you can adjust your sensitivity on the pedal. Their ECU is controlling all that. So not only is it in, is it controlling let's say the input of a pedal, for example, but it's also controlling the output. And what that output means for tire spin. So it's actually controlling traction control, electronic stability control. All those things are going through that computer. That and it also has to discharge the battery. You know, control that. I mean, there's just there's a lot of things so when you're I, looking I, at. EV I wonder stuff. why they're building that. I assume they're building that in house, as opposed to teaming up with a Bosch or a Motec or a because they're or, their own supplier. I mean, that's that's, they're a company that sells and competes with. Bosch and Motec and all of them. Speaking of which, did you hear that Motec sold? I did not. To Bosch. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Just uh, I was uh, on my Route 66 trip. I was hanging out with a couple of racers, and they were talking about Motec for the race trucks and stuff. And Motec is some good yeah. stuff, and I yeah. don't know what it's going to mean for the company. but Interesting, because uh, I was uh, with uh, Casey Curry and Lauren Healy and uh-huh. Brian Crofts. And you we were? Yeah, they were all on my Route 66 trip. No way. Yeah, so we were all just hanging was out. This, and, wait a minute. Was this videotaped? I hope no, no, Mm-mm. really, yeah. Why? Oh no, N- I mean Nitto did. I didn't, but yeah, the the trip was videotaped. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah they oh. had media people there. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. but Lauren Healy brought out his uh, fun haver Bronco. Okay. Casey Curry brought out his uh, old, uh, uh, I think it was like a '69 Camaro. Okay. Uh, which is set up as like a total like burnout car, which is rad because he was, you know, a handful down the track, handful in the rain, all that. He just come from Power Tour, and then uh, Brian Crofts had. Uh, the uh, you know the guys at Big Ten Garage, uh, Jason over there and Brian, well, they towed Brian's uh, C10 out. Dude, that thing was sick. It was it was amazing. And uh, we should talk to those guys about C10. What's stuff. in it? Uh, that was a LS7. Okay, it was really. Be- oh, it was a beast. It was so rad. 
It's that mustard yellow one that you've probably seen oh, out there. Oh yes, 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 yeah. yes. Yeah. So anyway, we that's we, we got to have those guys on the show because uh, Big Ten Garage. Yeah, I think Jason at Big Ten Garage would be awesome. Okay, super cool dude. Okay. And then finally over here, uh, Power Technologies again. Um, so the competency that you know we showed you at the you know very beginning of the room on um, you know making uh, you know those thin stampings for head gaskets mm-hmm. uh, and all the ceiling, we've been able to repurpose that for electrification. Um, two main areas. One. Uh, you can see here on the fuel cell stack. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is just an example of a fuel cell stack. But we actually make the plates. Um, and they, they look a lot like head gaskets. They look a lot <laughs> like head gaskets. So a lot of those competencies, skills, and capabilities. So this right here is really fascinating because as you heard in the beginning of the interview, when we were talking about head gaskets and, and engine gaskets, they're able to use that same technology that they fashion head gaskets out of and use them as plates in their battery technology. So you talk about why are they doing this versus teaming up with other companies? Because they can use their internal combustion expertise and repurpose it for another part of the business going forward in the EV side. Which yeah. I, I, to me, that was what was mind blowing. It's like you have this technology. Nobody ever even thought that this technology of making these really precise thin gaskets could be used completely different direction. I, I just, to me, that was one of those things. Where you're like, that's pretty amazing. Who's the guy who said, "Hey, we need to build the machine. We need to make this part." Somebody went. We already have it. It's head gaskets. Well, I mean, we saw some of that when uh, Trump went out and said, everyone needs to make ventilators. And yet companies yeah. that didn't make ventilators make ventilators. Well, sure. But I, I, I guess that's a, okay, well, I'll go with that. I just thought it was kind of a interesting point where they're like, hey, this is our legacy business that's providing to, you know, for the new part of the business. That's brilliant. Very cool. Abilities, um, as well as the capital equipment, we're able to reuse a lot of that. Um, and repurpose it. So pretty exciting. We've got uh, uh, some major production programs. Funny you wouldn't think that that kind of, you know, ICE technology is going to be, you know, a a huge part of building, you know, battery vehicles. Definitely, definitely. Well, and and you can see here a cold plate, a battery cold plate. This is actually, you know, batteries like to be, they're very temperamental. Sure. They uh, they like to be held at a a consistent temperature, So which means they need to be heated up uh, when it's cold and they need to be cooled down when it's too hot. Um, so the, the technology that, that does that is typically a battery cold plate. Um, this would go underneath the battery and, and basically would manage the thermal management of that, uh, of that plate. Uh, we also make a number of e-motor coolers and power electronic Which kind of looks like a EGR cooler or something like that, very exactly. similar. Exactly, kind of same thing. So. Cooler is a cooler. Just- That's another part of the business, right? They have to have these coolers. They're the exact same thing as an EGR cooler, or, or at least from the outside. You look at that and you go, oh, EGR cooler. Right. But they've re- repurposed that technology of how to make a cooler, and they know it needs to take up a certain amount of space, and they has to have certain cooling requirements, and they've, they already know what those are with these parts they have on the shelf, so they don't have to reinvent the wheel, which I just thought was, again, just fascinating that these portions of your legacy business are feeding your, your step forward into the, the, next, the next chapter. Are you going to take me up on my um, invitation to sit down with Gail? And talk about EVs because yes. one of the things he's um, I've been gone for ten days. One, one of the things he wants to talk about is uh, how much energy is used by the batteries in an EV to keep themselves cool or warm. Mm-hmm. Oh, Going to be interesting. I don't know that I can answer that question, but I can certainly provide insight into what I think from a consumer mind. Okay. It only depends upon what it's trying to cool. So we've got plates that go actually inside the battery, and then we've got the big ones that go underneath it. So, cool. so there's, cooling. there's actually a, uh, quite a few areas of discipline that you can take from your normal supplier base and then yes. add into you know, other things you're working on right now toward the future. Exactly. Yeah, so this is kind of a nice, nice way to really visually show 
how we're transitioning from the internal combustion stuff over to, uh, to electrified. The other thing that's interesting too is you know a lot of these, you know, like say an EGR cooler to an e-motor cooler or whatever, are already proven products, yeah. right? You already know how they work. You already have millions upon millions of you know maybe billions of miles out in fleets, and so you're not reinventing the wheel on certain aspects of you know the new technology. It's all stuff that we're familiar with that you know works. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah, the competency. I mean, there's certain competency in manufacturing to be able to make millions of things. We make millions of these. Yeah. I mean, tens of millions of those types of stampings that, you know, to, to make it at the right quality level or sure. it's going to be reliable and, and perform, uh, we've come along with that expertise. The first one is a HRAM. It's a hybrid electric rear axle. I think you saw this at Wintertest, but basically the motor is integrated on the, uh, you know, the output mm-hmm. um, concept. Something we've tested for a number of uh, a number of different drives, 48 volt uh, drive units, uh, so a higher speed uh, electric motor reconnect to this thing, uh, integrates a full disconnect system, and then some multi speed devices. So we've got a, a wide portfolio of you know different gearing technologies that we can mix and match with uh, different motors to, to suit different applications. This is also interesting, uh, twin clutch RDU. Uh, so we're proud of, you know, we've run quite a few all-wheel drive programs with um, a rear drive unit that mm-hmm. integrates the torque management device. So in this type of a device, this is for conventional driveline, of course. Perhaps you have kind of connects to it. Um, but you can integrate the clutches into each of these packs, and you can lock it up like you would have a, a locker. Uh, or you can vector torque. Um, well, remember, technically, it's so kind, of, kind of looking at it, normally you would see... Uh, if you're thinking of uh, the ring and pinion sitting in a like round housing, this housing is extended where the, I guess, where your axles are still coming out here, right? So you're, yeah. so it's basically the clutches are outboard of the ring and pinion rather than being in the middle of the carrier. Yes. So this is a cutaway of say the twin mech uh, that's been uh, announced for the uh, Bronco Sport. So you can see how you get all the all-wheel drive capability as well as mobility from a device like this. It's such a cute little ring and pinion. It is, isn't it? <laughs> which actually, what you don't... I can't wrap my head around that. So think of your traditional pumpkin, okay? Mm-hmm. At Halloween? Nope. Oh. The back of a vehicle that you would put a uh, Banks... Uh, rear differential cover, yes. Rear air... air Ram, ram. air rear differential yeah, cover, yes. Imagine no axle tubes because it's IFS or IRS. And axle shafts are coming out of it. Typically... You have your ring and pinion, right? Your pinion goes into the housing, and there's mm-hmm. a big ring gear, yep. and that ring gear drives through a carrier, the axles, right? They slide into lock-in. Imagine you don't have straight, solid axles coming out of either side. You have, you know, uh, CV axles for independent. Okay. And instead of the locker being in the middle of the carrier, like it is with a traditional ring and pinion, like a solid axle or in a, you know, um, truck as you would know it today, the clutches are on the outside, closer to the axle shafts. They're on the outside of the ring and pinion, and so that and you can see them. They're exposed. No, no, no. They're oh. the, just the housing is is extended. It's divorced from the pumpkin. No, no, no. It's all still one housing. It's just super wide, wider than you would think. Right, wider than what is needed for the ring and pinion, because the clutch packs are are on either side on the outside. So outboard. normally, where those axle tubes are, mm-hmm. that's extended another what. 12 inches out on either side? No, no. These are this tiny. This is a Bronco Sport unit. You can fit it in your lap. But I'm just saying that the, the important thing is the clutches are on the outside of the ring and pinion, not in the middle of the ring and pinion. So they can affect each individual wheel. 
Got it. For torque vectoring, slow one down, speed one up, things like that. Senior is um, the technology that actually goes into the, the gearing and the fluid. Um, this uses a very, very thin oil. I mean, it's, it's uh, almost water. It's uh, extremely efficient. You used to uh, have a kind of a tax or a penalty whenever you went to all-wheel drive. Right. You'd lose fuel economy. If you look at the stickers on this vehicle, um, Ford's done a fantastic job with the development. Um, you really you maintain most of the, the fuel economy from the regular two-wheel drive in the four-wheel drive or all-wheel drive version uh, because of some of this tech. Uh, Ow. Ow, that's loud. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, I uh, had paused the recorder because we walked through a couple laboratory doors, Mm -hmm. and then we went into a place that was really, really loud. By the way, when you say laboratory, you have to say it like... Laboratory. Thank you. Mm -hmm, You're welcome. Vehicle axles, uh, light vehicle axles, mechatronics, and then uh, some of our uh, summer residential validation. I don't know what he's saying right now. Mechatronics. I love that word. Sorry for anybody who is in a car listening to this right now with road noise and wind noise. But keep uh, keep trying because it's worth it. So the lab here, uh, unlike the T-shirt that I have, says safety first. My T-shirt says safety second. Glad I didn't wear it today. What you're looking at right here is our commercial vehicle axle dynamometers. We can take an entire commercial vehicle axle and put it on any one of these three dynos, and we can simulate anything that they would see in the real world. We can just do it faster. So. Chicago to LA, we can get it done in an afternoon as opposed to taking four days to wow. do it. Right? Or, or driving for that matter, exactly. and all the inefficiency of doing it in a vehicle versus just testing the componentry that you're developing. Exactly right. We would have to put so many miles on an actual vehicle to get all the damage, if you will, on an axle. So this lab, we do run it 24-7. Uh, we run 360 days a year, uh, so it's up running basically all of the time. Uh, we've got over 80 test stands. Got the ability for uh, product Are you sure you're not at an airport behind a 737? Nope, I am in the uh, R&D center of Dana Incorporated <laughs> uh, testing axles. And they have jet engines b- pointing right at your phone. They have engines that are turning axles, hmm. doing some cool stuff. They don't develop rockets that are, uh, again, pointed right at your uh, your microphone? Mechatech. Mecha... Mecha... Nomics. Just play Mecca. it. Just play it. Let's play it. Validation. We do advanced engineering and, uh, and advanced development. We've got a materials lab, which is right here. NBH, benchmarking, mechatronics. Pretty much the full nine yards. Mechatronics. Mechatronics. This is, again, one of those places that uh, if you've ever been to an automotive lab, it definitely smells like an automotive lab, but it's super clean. It's, it's amazing how clean it is, and uh, it's actually very, very cool. I, I like how... You actually have a little bit of, there's some neon lights and uh, Dana logos on the side. It's sort of, it has an old, uh, I don't know, a little bit of a service station kind of vibe to it, even though you guys are doing super modern stuff here. When we look at uh, electrified axles, uh, particularly rigid electrified axles, they're in kind of a unique environment. Um, They have to go up and down and basically move around uh, uh, independent of the chassis. And what that means is you put a lot of stress on things like cables and hoses and and so on. Uh, We actually had to develop, uh, with a number of partners, develop uh, curves and performance curves for various types of wires. Um, Wires and cables, they're they're not designed to do this type of uh, maneuver that you're seeing. We're we're looking at a a four-foot, maybe 48-inch section of uh, thick gauge 
uh, cable that you'd see going uh, from a controller, I guess, or an inverter into an electric motor on an e-axle. And there's a weight on the end, probably several pounds. And on the other end, it's an arm that's going back in an 180-degree arc over rollers to simulate the wire bending um, in the environment. So we, we had to work with uh, work with vendors to make sure that the, the products and the cables are going to be designed to meet the, the needs of an articulated electrified axle. Um, to do that, we had to actually test their product, the way that the cable's going to you know, bend and twist and, and basically move inside of the application. Uh, that way we've got predictive curves to make sure we can design it and then go through and validate it to make sure it's actually going to work in the application. I mean, obviously this is a durability test. What you don't want is the cable shorting internally or or the insulation jacket opening up, exposing the wiring to the elements, all those things that could potentially happen to uh, electrical cables. At Dana, we test all of our products both as complete assemblies but also as individual components. What we have testing right over here is we're testing an axle bracket, a lower control arm, upper control arm style bracket. So what we have is just a, a tube and it's bolted to a test stand and we have this ram continuously pushing and pulling to simulate that control arm that's attached to that axle. And it's spray painted white so if there's ever a crack we can see how it is. And so it, it measures every force in and out so we know how much force is each time but it also has limits on it. So if it gets to a certain distance and hasn't hit that force... I saw one of those machines in a movie I rented one time. No, you didn't. Yeah, yeah. At Odyssey Video in North Hollywood. No, you didn't. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Different machine. It's going to air out. And likewise, if it gets to a force but didn't get to that that area, we know that we need to stop and check it out. So, again, a durability test that to make sure that the design of this bracket is appropriate. Now, or, will this go all the way to failure, or you're doing a certain amount of cycles just to validate what you already know? Typically, we will do a couple of them completely to failure. And then once we know where that limit is, we'll make sure that it, it meets our design criteria. So, for those of you who are listening, this is uh, basically imagine the rear axle on my Jeep uh, and one of the control arm mounts and I'm doing about 60 miles an hour over a rutted road in the Mojave Desert this is simulate the uh, the forces going into that bracket that have been welded on for the control arm to the solid axle and I'm, I'm just watching this thing going man is that really happening under my vehicle every time I hit the trail uh, yes yes indeed it is and we of course tested loads much much higher than you it's amazing to see the, every the deflection. Uh, whether it's on this test or, or one of the other tests where they're showing a class five or six rear axle, like a massive rear axle, and it's bending an inch or two in every direction. Really? On the machine holding the center. The and axle then, is and then ho- And holding the ends and twisting it up and down and making the whole thing deflect and do like a happy face or a smiley face or an S. And you're sitting there going, how do you take an F550 or 650 rear axle and bend it and watch it bend back to where it was? It's wild, dude. That's unexpected. I'm like, please don't explode in front of me, <laughs> right? No, that would be no. awesome. Yeah, I'm sitting there and, well, no, that, well, if, as long as it, I wasn't taken out by right. it. Right, yeah. Ever going to see in the real vehicle to prepare for people that hoon like you and I. Have you seen my 10,000 pound overlanding uh, JL? <laughs> yes, yes, I have. We have our own 8,000 pound overlanding JT. So. so, this area over here is our high point gear development lab. So, all of our new high points, ring and pinions, 
get developed here first from every process, from the basic cutter blades to heat treat. They get it perfected here before it gets pushed out to our gear plants around the world. So this is the home of my Advantech uh, gear, ring and pinions? This is where they started their life. This is where they first got developed, right here. It's too bad this thing isn't moving. The, uh, this is a multi-axis spin stand. What it does is it tilts at every possible angle. There's pivots on uh, this axis, pivots on that axis, and there's a big electric motor connected to it. So you can spin it at literally any angle. That's how we check to make sure that the lubricant is gonna flow right in the axle oh, and yeah. you don't starve your bearings. Weird angles. Parked in your driveway for three days at a 45 degree because you're out of town. Exactly. Things like exactly. that. Exactly. So one of, the, one of the tests that flat blows people's minds is what we call beam fatigue. We, uh, <laughs> we put, it, we put an axle awesome. on a stand, and technically this axle is upside down. We mount it like it would have the weight on it in a vehicle, so leaf springs so or coils. So this is like a medium-duty, like F550 size? Yeah, exactly, class. 450, yeah. that's exactly the size we're looking at. So it's upside down, and it's sitting on the leaf springs. to, to That's how the, the vehicle weights it. And then it's upside down because the hydraulic rams are pressing on the top, pressing down. And everyone thinks, well, the tires and the suspension of the vehicle, Absorb they take all. all the load. Yeah. Well, it doesn't. A lot of that, a lot of that load winds so up in the axle. there actually is some suspension action in a solid axle itself. A absolutely right. There has to be that compliance in the system. Because I mean, if we're we watching a deflection of maybe an inch at either end. Right. Because, and, of course, we test significantly higher than the, than the weighted, the rated axle is, is what's supposed to do in the vehicle. Because Which is why your 8,000-pound and my 8,000-pound JL. Okay, hold on a second. I know that I'm hearing this, and I know that you just said it, right? but it doesn't make sense to me. We've all kneeled down and mm -hmm. looked at the back of an F-350, 450, 550, uh -huh. or a Ram 4500, uh -huh, 5500, yeah. and the axle tube itself is... What, three inch, something like that? Oh, no, Two no, and no half? it's got to be more. It's got like four, Maybe. four inch. Maybe. And you're telling me it's bending at each end mm -hmm. an inch? Yeah. What? And then bending back to square. Huh. I mean, it's 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 a sight to behold when you watch the presses and machinery that are doing this. But it's not like a press is going, no, no, it's actually dynamically No, I, I, I get, I get that. Axle. I get that. But what you're saying is this happens when you're in, in daily life. Yes. When you're towing. Overloaded. When you have too much payload. This is how you test your gross axle uh, weight rating. I guess I just assume that they're made out of obtainium or something that just doesn't bend. But no, it it bends. Yeah, apparently, pretty amazing. LJT can can handle that exactly because right. they're not overloaded at all. Right, they're they're just uh, they're just how they're meant to be. Exactly. Yeah, and we have to we have to build that compliance into the system because if we tried to make it stiff enough that it didn't bend. It would be four times as heavy. Uh, or it would just, or crack. It would just crack. Yeah. Exactly right. And that's exactly what we're making sure it happens here. It doesn't crack. But we also do that, like I said, we test things as components and then also as assembly. So here's another component. This is a knuckle assembly for, uh, for a, uh, let's, let's get the application. <laughs> so we have a knuckle and a tube yoke here for the front axle. And what we have is the brake and tractive force is being put in through the hub unit by a big hydraulic ram on a, on a lever arm, and it's just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Imagine if you took a, uh, a Advantech uh, 210 or something like that and then put 42-inch tires on it and went up a rutted hill. This is exactly what your knuckles and uh, C's would look like. 
Exactly right. Although this is a much bigger scale than that, but that's what you guys can appreciate, I think. Right. And, you know, we're checking to make sure there's no cracks where the tie rod connects, the, the ball joints are in there, the brakes are in there, and it, it simulate it grabbing the brakes. And we're putting all those forces into the into the axle because we know you will, too. I was going to say, I feel a lot better about all the bad things I've done over the years with solid axles. Our mechatronics lab over here. So everything that is, you know, mechanically controlled by electricity, lockers, disconnects, all of those things, that's this lab is where all those kinds of things are developed. And then down here we have, this is our commercial vehicle end of all the same tests we have up there. So like this axle that's sitting right here on that gigantic stand with those hydraulic yeah. rams, it's doing the same thing just on a much larger scale, twisting and... and uh, it is weird to axle. see an axle that big, like deflecting because sure. you guys are testing it by putting so much force into it. Exactly right. So this is our uh, mechatronics lab. Uh, in here we develop uh, a lot of the electronics that we've integrated into our axles. Um, actually, a, a particular interest to I, I was going to say, I think you, I see something that I would be familiar with. Do you and a number of the, uh, the audience um, is uh, electric locking differentials, uh, as well as uh, some of the, the different disconnect devices. Uh, so we developed our own electric locking differentials. Um, we designed and developed the actual solenoid that connects and disconnects, uh, basically locks the, uh, the dog teeth, uh, into the side gear and then to the case to, to basically lock up your uh, your rear or front axle. I guess that's an important distinction. So if you go out and buy a Gladiator or a Wrangler Rubicon and yeah. you get it with an e- with a uh, e-locker, right, that comes standard, that's your device that's in your axle. That's not somebody else's locker. That's exactly correct. And it's been designed specifically for that application. It's uh, robust for you know the, the life of the vehicle. Uh, all the temperature extremes, and, and of course we know, Loads. <laughs> we know what people do with those vehicles, so uh, it's designed for that as well. Uh, we also make uh, the disconnects, um, so we'll, we design and develop the actual disconnect devices, uh, whether they're um, uh, more the shift fork style sure. or uh, electric solenoid. So this would be like a fad or something like that? Exactly, front axle disconnects. Um, and also embedded in both of these products is uh, sensing systems. Um, it's important for you know things like functional safety to make sure you know the state of that device, whether it's engaged or disengaged. So, so we actually develop systems um, to measure, uh, whether it's through a Hall effect or eddy current, actually measure the position directly of, uh, which, of the locking device. Which is why, going back to the Jeep, just because it's easy for uh, people to understand, when you hit the locker button, mm-hmm. it'll flash for a second, yep. and then glow steady when it's engaged. It can flash because you are getting that feedback from the locker saying, I'm not quite engaged yet. Yep. Now, exactly. now I'm ready to go. Go have fun. Exactly correct. Or, or more importantly, when you jump back in the highway, hey, that it's yeah. disconnected <laughs> and, and yeah. you're okay to jump, on, uh, jump at highway speeds. This is the advanced development lab. So what you saw out in the main lab is primarily validation. So we're going through out there doing products we've got a lot of experience with. They're fairly standardized tests for Dana that we've been doing for a long time. When we go into the new product for some of the electric vehicles like you've driven, we do a lot of the development back here. So we're doing product development, test development, and then modeling development. So we do everything from the small components um, this is a, a motor rotor shaft that we have a motor that we can spin and throughout the rotor shaft we've got different ports that we're spraying oil to get oil to different areas in the motor to cool the motor. Power density on a motor is really a function of how fast you can get heat out. So we'll go ahead and we'll build a stand that has you know widgets like this that we can spin. We'll pump oil through it and then we go through and, and, and our FEA people that do all the computer modeling, they model it. 
we go back and, and kind of iterate through and get the models to where they work. And then, so you're, you're developing a new part. Yep. You know what the part needs to do. Yes. And now, you, and now it's new technology. You yes. don't really have a baseline for how you've tested it in the past because it's a new part. So you're both yes. developing the part as well as the testing regimen as well. Yes. And the fixtures. Yes. And the, from, yep. from soup to nuts, you're basically developing and proving this part yes. through its whole process before it gets approved to go onto a, a vehicle or a program. Exactly. Virtually all the tests we run back here are one-off, you know, the first time that we're doing it. You know, that's, I guess, what makes it fun. We I see them. 3D printed parts yes. on here. I see uh, a really ingenious way of moving lube around. Uh, yep. It's pretty cool. You don't have to giggle just because I said lube. Lightning. <laughs> I didn't do it. You giggled right here in the studio. I just saw you crack a smile. <laughs> I did, but it's because you said it. <laughs> because I said lube? <laughs> yes. Still funny. <laughs> Say it again. Lube. <laughs> Still funny. <laughs> yeah, right? It's all uh, beautiful TIG welded aluminum and... Hey, I, I have an axle that looks just like this one, all crusty. And did you pull that out of Lake Michigan or Lake Erie? This is actually this is actually an axle housing that has ran through a full durability cycle. So you know, as, as we go through the process, it's it's crusty, it's briny, it's uh, rusty. It's but then they have the uh, the gears are out of it and the uh, the covers off the back, and it's pristine on the inside. Looks yep. exactly like the day it was manufactured yep. so i guess that's a testament to uh sealing and and being able to keep the internal right. environment you know uh optimized yeah and actually um so we showed you in the lab all the wire basically all the wire testing that we're doing um so for us to, to kind of earn the right to, to say the lab testing is uh correlating to an actual environment we actually have to run that stuff in a vehicle so this is an example of an axle that we built up um, you can see the interface here, the gearbox. Um, electric motor isn't here, um, but the, when we actually walked by the cables that mm -hmm. were in this application, uh, when it went through durability. Um, so after running durability, we we're able to tear those things down, look for characteristics of a uh, failure. Or, we can see uh, the axle shaft. The uh, the bearings on the end are perfectly shiny. The shafts look good, whereas the you know the hub, which was on the outside of the vehicle, is also rusty. It's kind of funny to see the juxtaposition of kind of old school tech mixed with really advanced tech. You have the, the motor going into a solid axle, and the solid axle is everything that you know we're familiar with. You know, the way the shafts are, the bearings, all that stuff is super familiar, but then what's spinning it all is, is what changes. That's some of the really exciting things about being in the industry at this time. We also have an e-dyno in here that we run. You know, we'll do component tests all the way up to full axle assembly, so you know, we'll, we'll do bits, and then, you know, that basically migrates into the full axle, which then migrates into the full vehicle. So uh, th this is our, our latest beam axle that we're doing. Uh, it's, it's both massive and beautiful. It, it's yeah. it, the, uh, for those of you listening, it's the rear cover is a billet aluminum diff cover, and there's all sorts of wires and sensors. It, it looks like a dyno room, but this, this axle is absolutely enormous if you guys were able to see the, the third member and the casting and the ribs on it to keep everything uh, from uh, from flexing it's it's an impressive piece that's uh, basically a 400 kilowatt axle so near 500 horsepower so uh, i'll take and, two you know we'll, we'll run you know different <laughs> events and this is some of the internal parts we you know start going through we'll, we look at thermals on the axle look at durability basically all the the standard tests that you run we start out doing here all right, well, appreciate it. I'm now in another room with all sorts of componentry. 
laid out everywhere. Every, uh, it looks like every table represents a different vehicle in all the pieces. So while we do a good job at a lot of things at Dana, we also realize we don't know everything about everything. So we have our competitive analysis room that we look at how everyone else is doing it. How, how is everyone else solving some of the same problems that we're looking at? So, so literally a room full of everybody else's stuff. All disassembled, their own cataloged and logged and tagged. Where, where have you seen that before? Keep listening. Whether it's the EMOC rear drive unit, whether it's the Porsche, you know, turbo rear drive unit, the electric drive unit. We have a lot of different electric drive units here. We also have a lot of uh, standard products. And we should point out most manufacturers have something like that. In fact, I've been to, let's say, the, I won't say which manufacturer because there might be more than one. Been to the proving grounds. I've been to the garage where every competitive vehicle is sitting up there in various states of disrepair and disassembly because everybody wants to see how the other guy is doing it, how everybody can improve and what problems are being solved. And I can imagine that's a huge part of this right now as the rush to um, institutional knowledge and patents and all those things to try and get a leg up on everybody else. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a race to accumulate knowledge in this uh, in this space. And, you know, like, like Zach said, you don't want to only accumulate the knowledge that you have. You want to be able to, to learn from others that are out there. So this space, um, you see the products torn down, but yeah. what you don't see is that we actually test these products. Mm-hmm. These are things that we'll put on the dyno, and we look for, does it have interesting performance? Does it have interesting NVH characteristics? Is it uh, incredibly power dense? If they are, then that's really, we want to find out the features. Is the power output what they say it is? Is the durability what they say it is? Exactly, exactly. So so this room, the competency that this team's developed lets us really uh, kind of decode that and try to zero in and focus on the interesting aspects uh, for us to include in uh, our next developments. All right, we're in the garage. I I actually know some of these vehicles. So uh, I know the ProMaster. I know the, uh, the F550. Yeah. So this is uh, this is the garage for our uh, light vehicle advanced development team. Uh, this is actually where we do uh, vehicle in- integration and retrofits for uh, for a lot of our demo vehicles. So yeah, you get to drive our Spicer Electrify van and the the F550 and some of the other assets that we've got here. Um, this is basically where we, we build these vehicles to, to go out and do the ride and drives and uh, and test. And look at that. Just and here, just like that, the uh, the the E60 uh, JL shows up, and uh, I uh, remember this guy as well. Exactly. All right, so at that point, I uh, got to get in the JL with the uh, E60 axles and go on their proving grounds uh, on site, their boulder field, which is uh, no joke. Uh, some is of that just filled with boulders? Filled with boulders, yeah. It's like a football field of boulders. And then uh, they. I saw that movie too, no, right? Odyssey video mm-hmm. up in North Hollywood. No, you didn't. <laughs> and then I uh, got to go on some of their traction events and things like that. Uh, and then uh, we came back and wrapped up our tour. So get into that here. All right. So we are uh, in the uh, the Dana. I guess what do you call it, guys call this thing? E60. So this is this is the same one that was at the uh, winter proving ground. So Correct. this has the uh, electric axles, and we are loaded with dudes. <laughs> yeah, just a, a bevy of dudes filling up this thing right now. All right, so, so it's on. Just okay. you can shift into to gear as needed. So, okay. and what's your name? I'm Brian Sitterly. And you have a giant laptop right in front of me. <laughs> oh, I like this. You guys have creep worked into the system. Yep. So I yeah, a small amount of creep, and obviously that's programmable to. Uh, we can program that to whatever the driver 
would like, um, or you know, in the case of an OEM, they'd be able to program it to what what their desired creep torque is. All right, we backed out of the garage, and now we are uh, heading out. All right, which way do we go? Uh, take this first right here, okay. and then just follow the drive through. Okay. So straight through. Straight through. It's a beautiful windy day here in Ohio. Take your right, go right through the gates. All right. We're getting special access in this thing into uh, the Dana off-road uh, course here. So the throttle is really responsive. It feels good. It doesn't have like a lot of pedal latency. Straight ahead? Straight ahead. I'm gonna get up and we're gonna stop before you go up this hill. Okay. So this is a 30% uh, incline hill. It's just a little dirt hill climb. Okay. Now, one thing with an EV, you can slow climb this. You can do this extremely slow, and by extremely slow, I mean you can have your wheels just turning. Is that because of the amount of torque that's available? Correct. So we're not having to rev up an internal combustion engine to make that traction or to make that torque. Correct. And and fight gravity because the EV powertrain is supplying that right away. Correct. In fact, if you want to try, try and do it at less than, I mean, we have our speedometer up, try doing it less than one mile an hour. All right, we are going up, it's probably, what, 40 feet or so? So we're one mile an hour going up a 30% grade. It's a uh, grassy hill with a dirt surface uh, we're, we're driving that has clearly been rained on and is a little bit deformed. I'm toggling between uh, zero and one mile per hour. Just like that, crawling up. Now, does this particular vehicle have a traditional transfer case in it? Or is everything done within the axles? Everything's done within the axles. Um, we have controls that will mimic uh, the transfer case. Mm -hmm. um, that'll shift torque back in front to the front and rear. I guess one of the things with traditional ICE vehicle versus EV is giving the driver either the sensation or the function that he desires even though it's done a different way for example some of the new crop of ev pickup trucks there's a locker button well it's not really a locker anymore if it's two motors in the rear they're just being synced together synced at the same up. time to kind of you know, replicate the feel of a locker and the capability of a locker so it's that sort of um just a, a way for the driver to know oh that's the function i want without having them to relearn why or how all right. So we're going to keep going down this hill. This is this side's a 20% grade. Okay. And it's concrete, so just straight ahead. Um, we use this hill for park lock testing and hill holding, things like that. We also have a couple sets of rollers embedded into the concrete so that you can uh, oh, yeah, I see. spin up one side. Or if you get on both sets of rollers, you can uh, demonstrate that you have to be able to provide torque to all four wheels in order to make it up a... So sort of like if there's ice on one side of the road and not on the other, right. things like that? Yeah, you can either do your left to right or you can do three on ice. So this is our this is our rock garden. We have uh, basically four different styles of stone in here. They get start very small and get larger and larger as they go down. Uh, the first two, three sections aren't really that big a deal when you get down to the far end. You start to get some very large stones that you need to pick, a, pick an appropriate line. Uh, there's some, some big holes and some big rocks. So the feel is very much like any normal Jeep with a lift kit on it. And uh, 
big tires and solid axles. Coil over, so for a nice ride. I see our first pole off to the right there. And this thing has 37s on it? Correct. And it doesn't sacrifice any ground clearance over a, over a stock Jeep. And again, trying to really crawl it because I have that torque. I'd say one of the things that's really impressive about this is just how uh, the, the uh, pedal tip in feels. You know, it still feels like a, more like a um, traditional vehicle where the vehicle is really easy to modulate within a very short distance to get the power that I want out of here. There's a bagpiper. Yeah, practicing. Uh, they're practicing behind the building. <laughs> now we're at the far end of the rock garden. You're right, we have a significantly bigger uh, rocks through here. In addition to the testing that we do out here on, on these proving grounds, We've been taking this to several different off-road parks doing actual real-world off-road testing. So. And what has the response been with people who have figured out what this vehicle is all about? Quite a bit of curiosity. You, you uh, Quite often you'll get people following you around and uh, wanting to watch and see what it's capable of. I'd say for the most part, I'd say it's uh, been positive. You need them, your front and rear locker. All right, so we've got a, uh, a left rear wheel spinning, so we're gonna put the uh, two lockers on to get over this last little uh, ledge. Let me back myself out of the hole that I dropped this into. Well, Found your ground clearance limit. We make it challenging. Yep. Remember, kids, you're not stuck if you're still moving, able to move front or back. Yeah, as I said, don't be afraid to hit her. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, hard left. We made uh, we made it out of the uh, the rock. Pit and uh, it is a uh, a real rock pit. Oh yeah, That's a slight <laughs> challenge. <laughs> Thanks for letting me uh, give that a, a run and uh, testing out your brackets and skid plating. <laughs> so uh, this is our sustainable mobility center. Just kind of a, a brief introduction. Um, this is a, a LEED certified site, so it's it's one that is very uh, energy efficient. Um, it's kind of our one of our, our hubs or showcases for uh, what Dana's doing around um, sustainability. What you see actually in front of you is one of the examples, and this is really in our products. Um, you can see the electrified axle, battery, and then what we call uh, an e-cradle. Here you're going to see how we manufacture uh, electric motors, and then you're going to see how we actually put this whole system together to help uh, electrify uh, different trucks for, for fleets or, uh, or OEMs alike. All right. This uh, first area here is basically, it's, it's a motor assembly line. Um, and this will uh, kind of walk you through how you actually build up and, uh, and develop an electric motor. Um, the style electric motor is, uh, these are hairpin style electric motors. And uh, electric motors, um, this way you think about it, electric motors are kind of like, uh, there's lots of different styles and architectures. It's kind of like the, um, you know, your toolbox. 
you don't have just one tool to do every job, different styles and architectures of electric motors are, are better for different applications. Uh, so maybe hairpin is a high-speed motor, very good for high power density. Um, it's great for a lot of applications. Other applications, maybe it's not, not the right tool for. Uh, so we have experience in, in hairpin for the see for like vehicle markets and the transmissions and the axles that we're, uh, we're developing and in production with. Um, and then we have different other styles like concentric wound machines or diamond wound machines or different things that are uh, more useful tools for other locations. Um, so why is it called a hairpin? Well, because it kind of looks like a hairpin. They kind of look like hairpins, exactly. Yep. Uh, so these are some examples. And actually, this this machine right here, hairpin forming, this is one of the most uh, important parts of the process. Uh, when this thing is, is going through and running, uh, it'll spit out a hairpin about every two seconds. It so, starts with the raw wire. Yep. And then you can see the rack of hairpins there. Yeah, so, so the raw wire is just on a spool, like wire comes, and yep. then the hairpin is got shape to it it looks like if you were to draw a simple outline of a house except the walls are like four five stories. stories or four stories yeah <laughs> and it's also flat whereas the wires coming off the spool whatever wire gauge it is and there's some shape um to the way they're formed so exactly. that's a hairpin now and that shape is very important because the hairpin basically when they're inserted into a stator this outer stator this outer shape here this is actually called the stator you can see it's, it's built up of a, a ton of different laminations. They're just very, very thin stampings that are then welded together. But basically when they're inserted, they layer over each other in a way to kind of create this pattern. And that gives you very, very good power density. You get a lot of copper, basically in the say in a, a very small amount of area, which improves the power density of the machine. So we're looking at the stator, and it's what you would think a stator would look like. It's bigger, obviously, on a motor. This one on the side here, you can see connections for wires. Electricity goes in. This sits in a housing. What causes it to rotate or move or? Uh, it, it's basically, it's uh, the current that's put through this machine, uh, basically through these wires, that induces uh, induces a torque. So it's, um, I'm trying to think back to the old physics day, uh, basically, I mean, when you put two electromagnets uh, yep. basically against each other with opposing and they, they poles, fight. it pushes, yep. basically it pushes the machine. It's basically that same concept. But um, in a housing that rotates rather than pushes away? Exactly. Uh, this machine uses a combination of, it uses the electrical current to, to create that force and magnets. Uh, so the rotor actually has magnets embedded inside of it. Oh, yeah. So it uses a combination of that, that basically inductance or reluctance. So the rotor sits inside the stator. Power is applied to the stator, yep. and that causes the rotor to spin because of the magnets that are inside its housing. It basically pushes it around. That's exactly correct. And different style motors have different uh, different technology. Uh, there's there's motors that don't have any magnets, uh, like an induction motor, mm -hmm. for example. But it'd be similar. You're getting all of your torque generation basically from running the current through the machine. And even the way you have magnets size, located, angled, I'm sure all that's proprietary. And uh, it's in, incredibly proprietary, and it's also incredibly uh, uh, complex. It's yeah. uh, doing design and development of these machines where they're... This looks like a mechanical snowflake would be the best way to describe it. Yeah. And um, it's it's got, it's not, it's like the uh, a snowflake with a circle drawn, uh, drawn around it is the best way to describe it. It's not, uh, it looks mathematical. I guess is my the best way I could yep. for people who are listening, but it's it's definitely not just 
somebody puts some magnets in a no, housing. No, it's not random. It's not random yeah. at all. Yeah. yeah, the design and development of this is very, very precise. It's extremely technical and in-depth. Even the little radii, like, that is not just a clearance. That is a designed in to, to make sure you're controlling the magnetic field in the right spot. Um, every little detail on this thing is designed there for a specific All reason. this proves to me is that there are a lot of people out there that are way smarter than I am. Same, same here, man. There's, there's <laughs> some fantastic... Because um, while, while the hairpins in the beginning, they look very simple, there's a lot of geometry in there to allow them to nest. And overlap. And on overlap, yeah. nest yep. next to each other so they can be as dense as possible in there. Yep. Now, is there a limit to how dense they can be? Is this creating heat here and you have to worry about yep. melting copper and things like that? Yeah, there is. It's, it's one of the important design parameters is making sure that you're uh, paying attention to... Um, the, the heat at the end one. And where would the the function for cooling be in something like this? Is it in the housing around it? There's, Is there's, it? A, there's a few options. So so one would be a uh, water jacket. Uh, basically, water would be circled around the housing. Just similar to engine block? Similar engine block. Uh, there's other cooling concepts where you're uh, pumping coolant, whether it's uh, a water, and then the water is actually contained inside it. Mm-hmm. You pump it through the, uh, the the rotor, and you cool the rotor. There's others where you pump oil, basically, through the rotor, and you cool the rotor, and then it would spray on the end windings here. Like uh, a piston jet or something exactly, like that? Exactly, to, to basically cool them down. Motors, uh, and motors, they're very much thermal devices. All the limits are basically based on thermal limits. Again, given our background and everything you saw, that's where our power technologies experience on managing thermals, uh, uh, engine gaskets, and so on. Seth, that comes directly. I in. also have thermal limits. <laughs> you can see on the on the motor assembly over here. You know, it's got that water jacket style cooling. So yes. here's your here's your in and out for your water and glycol mix. So that's it's got the outer jacket. That's how it cools this particular motor. And that's something to point out too. A lot of people think that. Um, electric vehicles are 100% maintenance-free, but that's not necessarily true. You still have coolant that would need to be replaced at intervals. You would still have on the other systems like brake fluid and things like that. You're not doing oil changes, although motors, some motors do have oil change intervals, right? So it really just depends. It's it's not a it's not a one size fits all. It's not completely maintenance-free, yeah. but you you're I mean compared to an engine, there's yeah. a lot less moving parts. The, uh, the maintenance intervals are a lot longer. What, what, okay, let's say on a typical motor, maybe a ICE engine is can last 150,000 miles. Is it the same durability on an electric motor? And what are the things that would age out or, or durability out over time? Is it the bearings? Is yeah. it the actual windings Bear, itself? Bearings and seals are just kind of the conventional things. But some of the... So uh, some of the products that we offer, uh, same bus applications, mm-hmm. those are 10-year warranties, they're million-mile applications. So, I mean, when, when we cut our teeth on electrification years and years ago, it was really on those applications that are designed to run millions of yeah. million miles. All, all day that. long, sometimes 24-hour duty cycle. Exactly. We've got, a, we've got one customer um, for basically uh, terminal tractors. It's a 22-hour duty cycle. Wow. There's only two, two hours in the day is down, down yeah. charging. They have to necessarily think about getting fast charge it, but for that customer, time is money. Making sure the uptime of that equipment is there, that it's durable and robust, so you get good basically a good payback on your investment. That's what's important. And obviously through other parts of your business, you guys have very good seal technologies oh, yeah. and, and the ability to, to ensure the elements stay where they belong and exactly. not inside the, the, the exactly. product. Exactly. I mean, we've been making axles for million-mile applications for, for Z- eons. Yeah, I mean, decades. a long, long time. Yeah. 
All right, we've uh, we've left the uh, proprietary uh, motor assembly area. Sorry, you guys didn't get any of that, but I did, and it was awesome. So, uh, <laughs> explain the, uh, the the last stop on our tour. Yeah. So uh, as you heard, uh, there was uh, noise, and there wasn't noise, mm-hmm. and that's because we got to a point on the assembly where they showed me how the uh, sausage is made. Yeah. And they don't want anyone else to taste their sausage. And so basically, uh, we just magically uh, skipped ahead <laughs> to the part that we can talk about. Mm-hmm. And this is the uh, the last part of our tour of uh, Dana Incorporated in the uh, future of automotive technology. But what if I want to see the sausage? Uh, oh, no. Cannot see <laughs> Did the I sausage. just say that out loud? You cannot. <laughs> not only can you not see it, but you cannot taste it. You yeah. cannot be involved in the sausage <laughs> making. So there's uh, kind of three areas out here that I like to walk through. First off, you can see this... Uh, large uh, large kind of wall that says training center it, moving to electrification um is is different than conventional uh you know ic powertrains there's a lot of different systems in electrified vehicle um, that we want to make sure that that our employees are aware of as well as uh our fleets and customers so we, we put up a training center basically to go through and train our own teams to make sure that they're safe working around mm-hmm. uh, electric vehicles and some of these electric powertrains uh, as well as those those fleets and customers. Do you also have to train first responders and people like that as well? Because obviously, using the jaws of life, or if they you know bad accident, uh, there's different exactly. things to be aware of. Making sure that they know where the battery disconnects mm-hmm. are, how to safely approach the vehicle, what the the right uh, PPE is, mm-hmm. uh, personal protective equipment, yep. uh, those types of things. So exactly. So it's something that we um, we take very very seriously and and put up this center basically for that. The coolest thing that I see in here is a what looks to be like a giant starter or uh, alternator generator attached to a pulley with a belt to a solid axle. <laughs> the hell does that go? Is that a lawn tractor or something? That thing is rad. I want to. Yeah, golf cart. I want to put that on like a, a go kart or something. Right. Yeah, actually. So, um, so first off, you, you probably see why there's a shipping container shortage. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, Dana's used them all for their display. Used them all for our displays. Actually, it was uh, you know a great idea that uh, you know these are fairly easy to ship. They're already yep. standardized. And these are, by the way, the nicest shipping containers I've ever seen. There's not a dent or a rust on any of them. And we're going to convert them into a house when we're... Uh, <laughs> there you go. So each each one of these containers it represents one of our end markets. And then uh, middle here is uh, some electrodynamics that goes across all of them. Uh, what you're looking at right now is the LV container, the light vehicle market container. We've got products uh, mostly aimed at kind of the, the, the truck market. Um as well as uh, some of the high-performance segments. Formula E systems, or the Formula E uh, exactly. motor that's in the race cars? Exactly. We had, uh, uh, was it, four, uh, I think it was four seasons that we participated with Formula E. Uh, this is an example of one of the uh, electric motors. That uh, thing this, is so cool. This little machine, it's uh, uh, about 500 kilowatts, all in this little, little package. Uh, Carbon fiber and aluminum housing, which is kind of cool. Exactly. You say maybe some, maybe some 3D printed or fiberglass carbon pieces on the end there. Yeah, there, there's a lot of innovation in this. And um, in our involvement with Formula E, we're able to take a lot of the technology which moved to our, our next generation products, whether it's in the you know some of the, the big trucks that you mm-hmm. saw uh, uh, or got to drive around or, or some new things. As you said, it's all scalable. It is. It, it is. is. It seems like just you just make it bigger exactly. and more of it when you need more. Exactly, exactly. Uh, next up is the, the motor container. Um, so you saw high-speed electric motors. Um, yep. And this is this helps kind of more illustrate, you know, lots of different tools for the job. So you can see um, some of our, our biggest motors, like the Sumo HD and MDs. Uh, these are torque machines. Uh, these are well-suited for, for buses, trucks, 
Uh, typically low speed applications that just need a lot of torque to move things. Uh, a lot of terminal tractors use this type mm-hmm. of technology um, basically to, to move these shipping containers that we're looking at right now, basically move those around. Um, you also see the HP motors. These are kind of high power or the LD. Um, these are better suited. They're higher speed, they're higher power density, um, and they're, they're the right fit for, say, an e-transmission or an e-axle. And then, of course, the high-speed motors that you saw that are also designed specifically for e-axles. And you can, you can imagine for a, a lighter vehicle application where you have tight packaging constraints. Sure. The, uh, by the way, the uh, Sumo HD motor is about 30 inches in diameter by about 30 inches long or so, yeah, something a, like that. We found a motor bigger than you. Yeah, that thing is uh, huge. It looks like it had a lot of bacon cheeseburgers and Dr. Peppers, too. Uh, next up is our commercial vehicle crate. Um, you can see a number of uh, electrified axles here. Um, we've we've had uh, electrified axles in the CV space for uh, for quite a few years already. Um, the 06 is an application that, that launched uh, um, just last year. Uh, so it's in a medium duty uh, medium duty truck, and I, I know you got to drive the F550 with yeah. this system uh, this system in it. Uh, you also see some ap- applications here that are more suited for uh, kind of low speed uh, buses. Um, this is uh, in production through one of our partners in China, um, DDAC, for uh, for five or six meter buses. Which kind of interesting. These are different because instead of the uh, the pumpkin or the third member, where you have the power going in, making a ninety degree turn out to the axle shafts, these motors are in line with the axle shafts, but it's still a beam axle. Exactly. And they're massive. Exactly. Coaxial uh, mounted motor. And there's a lot of trade offs with uh, with those different approaches. Uh, which area can we find the uh, turbo encabulator? Is that around here somewhere? I'm looking for the uh, the axial transitive drive flush uh, fairing bearing. It's, it's, it's a go baby go button that's uh, buried inside the inverter. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then finally, the, uh, the the last crate is the off highway uh, the off highway crate. Um, and then this is really fun. Um, there's a lot of different machine architectures in the off highway space, which just makes this incredibly interesting um you, you when you first walked in you saw those the axles with all the different ribs for, for yeah. mounting this would be kind of a fully dressed version of it um this is one of the examples you should see the tie rod ends on this thing they're about <laughs> three inches thick massive absolutely massive uh modularity is the key in the off-highway space um the, the volumes aren't aren't huge and there's a lot of different types of vocations that, that you need to serve. Uh, well, I think that's jobs. so. For example, you watch Gold Rush, and yeah. they're on the mining site, and yeah. they're like, well, let's go to the boneyard. And it's the same seal on something sitting there for a different yes. tractor that's 40 years older. And they're like, let's rob this. You're like, there's no way you have the right. Oh, I guess it's still thick, yeah, right? It works. So I guess that matters on the job site, being able to have you know that that modularity where you can steal from one and fix what you need if you can't get parts in time or something like oh, that. That's exactly right. Um, and we've taken that, that approach here with electrification. Um, so we have a family of inverters, a family of motors, a family of controllers that we can mix and match with some of our conventional, you know, in this case an e-axle. Uh, you can mix match with hub drives. So this would be a hub drive. There's a planetary uh, device actually in here. Or even you can see this big uh, skid drive. Well, guess what? You can see the inverters. The inverters are basically the same yeah. amongst all of them, yep. um, and just slightly different motors or the same motors that are adapted. So, um, it is a good tangible example of the, the flexibility that's required here for the segment. We're looking at a uh, tracks for like I don't know. It's like. Uh, 3x bobcat size or something like that <laughs> when i walked up i, I thought the tracks because everything's like nicely coated and stuff and then the um 
tracks look like they're just 3D printed. So it was like, oh, they're just, just a display. No, this is the real thing. These are actually rubber tracks, and and uh, everything is, like I said, painted and, and nice looking. And you never see them this way. Yep, yep. Uh, those, so these are all, like, drive examples. Um, we also have examples where we, we serve auxiliaries. Um, so this this is uh, what's known as a slew drive. Um, that's kind of the fancy word for the the thing that turns the turret on uh, some sort of digging machine or, or like a tank, for example. Sure. <clears throat> Basically, it's an electric motor that goes into a hub reduction, and then you see a big uh, big gear here at the bottom, which would then, it would either be on the inside or the outside of a, uh, a basically a slew drive. Um, also, some auxiliaries, uh, pumps. So this is a cutaway of a pump. So is that if you were to change a hydrostatic drive, now you can use electricity to run exactly. hydraulics rather than having an internal combustion engine exactly. running that pump? Exactly. Still exactly. need that fluid pressure yeah. and provide it electronically, electrically yep. instead of mechanically. And, and there's some architectures that, because of the architecture, you still want to have that hydrostat drive and yep. wheel ends maybe. Yep. Um, so you would just electrify through... And this is pretty small. I mean, this is obviously a lot smaller than maybe an engine. So (laughs) I guess if you're a traditional manufacturer and you're just changing the motivation, depending on how heavy your battery pack is, there might be a weight savings and might get some gross vehicle weight or combined weight rating back to the same product without making any changes. Exactly, exactly. All right, and then the final area we're approaching is uh, battery electric vehicle integration. Um, this is a service that we added a few years ago uh, because of the demands of fleets and OEMs to electrify their, their vehicles. Um, the electrification is going extremely fast in you know, really all of the, the markets, and in some cases faster than you know, the, the, the OEMs or others can, uh, can suit. So we, we added this service to do full, uh, basically full electric vehicle design. Um, we don't design the, you know, the base platform, but we'll electrify it. So, so we is, can do anywhere from the, you know the human machine interface, you know mm-hmm. the, the screen. We can design the electrical architecture. Uh, we can size the batteries, the electrical powertrains, uh, as well as do the uh, as well as. Do so the is this is this the blueprint for a manufacturer that wants to have an electrified vehicle? So you're not necessarily manufacturing that vehicle. Correct. You're providing the base blueprint for how that should be done with with the platform that they hand you. So they'll say, hey, here is a our traditional class six seven truck, whatever no drivetrain in it, we want it to be electrified, show us how that needs to be done, what components do we need, and then you're able to not only do the blueprint, but show the build list, all the parts, and, yep. and all that uh, stuff. Exactly, exactly. And, and in some cases, we even go further. Uh, so we'll build modules and send them modules for them to assemble in their plant. Um, in, in some cases, if it's, if it's uh, reasonable enough volume, we'll actually do the, the build-out of the chassis. So they'll send us a, a chassis, and we'll build all the electrification components into it, and then ship it back to them to, to, to finish up. So uh, a number of different business models uh, uh, needed to be flexible in this area sure. at this time. Because I guess nobody really knows what they quite want or need at this point. So you have to s- sort of service them all until you get be- you know best man or last man standing. And I'm guessing when you're designing these systems, you have a base weight for the vehicle with internal combustion. And you're able to kind of target that so that there's not a penalty to the end user. In fact, I'm sure you guys are probably trying to figure out how to give them a lighter weight vehicle for more cargo capacity. Exactly. This is just a look at an electric powertrain. This is a direct drive system. You can see uh, yeah, you can see the prop shafts. Uh, this is a class, was seven? Six. six? Yep. So we call this a center motor, essentially. So instead of having a, a motor on the axle itself, we have a center motor that still uses a traditional style drive shaft yep. to, to get the power. So the axles are exactly what we would provide an axle today. The drive shafts are very similar. 
you know, several several piece drive shaft. But it's a motor that has a yoke coming out the back exactly that allows right. you to hook exactly up. Right. So it's in line. You you yeah. So it's the uh, the Holman size motor, and this would be if you're looking at it, it's sort of a midship where the transmission might be. Exactly. And right. so the where the output on the transmission or the yoke on the out uh, the transmission would be is in the same space, allowing them to use the same exact drive shaft and rear drive line, so that it doesn't upset their production line. There's not another drive shaft or or rear drive skew they need to use after the motor you know downstream from it exactly right and obviously these gigantic pods hanging on the side here is, is battery and then all of the all of the inverters and everything are up under where the traditional where the traditional holy are. crap they are thick i mean the, I, I, I was thinking they were a quarter inch but they're not they're not no, that's gotta hold up the battery yeah hold up the battery and it's also got to crash and back, back yeah so. wow and then here's an example of our uh, e-cradle um, so I, as we remove the uh, the big diesel engine, yep. you obviously have this kind of well-fit space. And we use this to house uh, all electronics, uh, the power distribution device, the... Um, the and you still have a cooling, a thermal cooling stack in oh, the yeah. front, the it's same, same yeah. that the diesel truck might have. Exactly the right. same, exactly the same. DC, DC, uh, all the electro-hydraulic power steering so, systems. So you, we're all... You can see our controller here, so the vehicle controller. We're all familiar with like a, uh, you know, SAE electric vehicle charging station plug that you'd have you know up to like right now they're like 350 kilowatts out on the road for a a fast charge yep where do you charge a truck and something this big with a battery that massive what does that connection look like is it the Uh, same is it yeah it's uh standards are being developed right now okay so there's still still trying to figure out what that looks like for the future and i'm sure you guys are trying to win over uh (laughs) whoever ultimately decides what that looks like you will see megawatt charging uh, (laughs) and not too long okay (laughs) all right well that was uh awesome now we are heading uh, back uh seth and zach have promised me a bacon cheeseburger from the uh from the cafeteria here at dana and I hope their lunch service is as good as their uh, axles and e-axles. So uh, appreciate the uh, trip out or the invite out, guys. Anytime. You're always welcome here, Sean. All right. See you next week. All right. Well done. Thank you for bringing us the action from Dana. Hey, that was you asking for a deep dive. Yeah, I gave you, you were, a deep dive and I went deeper. You went to the center of the earth. That was awesome. That there's a, listen, there's a lot of little nuggets in there that are pretty cool. Your submarine uh, started at the surface of the ocean and went all the way down to the the bed of the ocean no, seabed, no. and then you got out a uh, tunneling machine and no, you no, went no. down into the crust. My, my submarine went through the Earth's mantle yeah. from the Pacific Ocean and <laughs> popped up on the other side by China. Yeah, you did. Damn, that was deep, dude. I, it was cool though. I mean, how many opportunities do you get to go behind the scenes in like a literally a top secret? We don't show many people this, and we're going to share it with your podcast audience. Uh, me, none. <laughs> and listen, even just the, the axle deflection tests and how they do the, uh, you know, the, the electromechanics in the lab and how they're developing uh, new processes and to, to test these new products that nobody's ever seen before. What are they called? The, the mect, mectal, mect, <laughs> yes, mectal. Me- mectronic? Me- yeah, mectaltronic. Mectaltronic. <laughs> Sounds like it's from wow. cyber, Cybertron, right? They, easy for you to say. It's in Transformers. They listen, saw it in the movie. Listen, this was uh, 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 one of those cool opportunities and- uh, I was trying to say as many of like the product names and, and what it was. So hopefully, if you're sitting at home, you can Google it to get a visual of some of the stuff. But it was really cool. So uh, special thanks to uh, Seth and Zach for having me out uh, to Dana again and, and really showing me how things come together. I think one of the coolest things I couldn't even show you was how they put their motors together and test them 
uh, and validate them for just QC because if you have one little nick or something like, boom, done. Like you're having arcing inside them. I mean, just all that kind of stuff. It's just it's a whole different world. It's it's completely foreign to me. <laughs> I mean, did you feel like you were in an iPhone factory? With that, that no, I understand that, an iPhone. No, but I'm saying with that exacting science. You know where they're yes. Were like, they were they wearing uh, clean suits? No, it wasn't anything like that where we were. I'm sure there are places there that you require that, but. Just the componentry that, again, like in the stator and in the, you know, where they're doing the coil windings or or the hairpin motors and things, and then and then the mathematic shape of some of these pieces is just, you know, how they mount the magnets. I mean, just you felt dumb, didn't you? I did. <laughs> I felt incredibly stupid. So I kept talking uh, about I being sh- fat and eating bacon cheeseburgers. I should have went to school. I would have understood some of this. No, I could go to school for 100 years, and I would be like, no idea. Mm. I would walk out the other end and go, I don't know. They'd be like, hey, build the electric motor. I'm like, uh-huh. I need a magnet and some power. <laughs> magnet and some power. I'm going to shoot one magnet away from the other one. Mm-hmm. They're able to harness that and make it turn into movement. Not you. Nope. <laughs> Not even close. So you need uh, you need a bacon cheeseburger to uh, create uh, movement, my, don't you? My head is you know I, my head hurts listening to that again because I was trying to pay attention the whole time. Mm-hmm. All right, well uh, before we uh, we we end the dog and pony show, uh, we got to open this box from Jordan. You sure that's safe to do so? I mean, it's been sitting here. It was in my office. So uh, how long was it in your office? Uh, I don't know. It was just on my desk when I went in there today. Is it postmarked? Uh, he shipped it on June seventeenth. Okay. So right after the uh, Florida truck meet. Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, he's using his uh, very sharp uh, knife. I've got my, my bench made here. It's my mm-hmm. mini Crooked River. I'm a yeah. huge fan of this knife. Have you ever lost one at uh, airport where they you have to forfeit it uh, to no. TSA? Uh, can I t- did I tell you the story about TSA with my knife one time? No, you didn't. But uh, unfortunately, Eric Ryder, was, uh, I was with him and- he had a really nice new Leatherman that he had to forfeit. Well, then he's dumb. Yeah. Put it in your check bag. Here's what happened to me. I was at John Wayne Airport, and I go through security, and it's almost time for my flight. I'm, like, running late. I'm like, crap. And I get there. Be careful with this box, because if there's ricin in it, and it explodes and I'm, gets dude, all over I'm, your face, I'm, you're going to die. I'm already dead. Okay. I'm already dead. Um, it doesn't say J only open it or anything like that. So, <laughs> um, so I go to the airport, and I, I have a knife. And the TSA agent pulls me aside, and she says, well, that's a really nice knife. You can't take it. And I'm like, do you have a locker or anything? She goes, no, but are you close to your car? I'm like, sort of, but my flight's late. She goes, well, either take it back to your car and come see me. Let the agent know that I talked to you, and you have to come back and see me. Or do what everybody else does and put it in the bush outside by the taxi stand. Yeah, TSA, hooked me up with a little hay thrown in the bushes. (laughs) That was years ago, but still funny. All right, the box is open, and... Uh-huh. Oh, is oh. it a trophy? What is this thing? Oh, it looks like... Yeah, it sure is. No, what oh. is... Wait, that's not a trophy. Oh, shoot, there's a letter in here. Uh-oh. Oh, and a T-shirt. Oh, no. There's a letter. Uh, all right. Wow. This is not good, dude. Hi, forgetful Jay and silent Sean. <laughs> uh, Jordan here with Florida Truck Meet. First, let me go by saying... 
I am saddened by your unattendance of my show recently. When I seen Sean say y'all would not be there, I instantly exploded to frustration. But after reading your pathetic text message apology, Jay, I pondered and realized no use in crying over spilled bourbon and decided to forgive you of your sins in exchange for a deal I proposed. Sean, can you hand Jay the package? Jay, please take this gift as a sign that just like this award I had made for y'all to give away with a little rebuilding, it can be fixed just like our friendship. Oh, oh, so he destroyed it. Hold on. Is this a broken award? I don't know. You have it in your hands, is it? It is. I can't tell. But oh, hold on. It. it continues. Once it's rebuilt, please text me a picture of Jay holding it while wearing the T-shirt provided, and all sins will be forgiven. Also make plans for me to come out there and get the full California pompousness tour from y'all. I'm really just coming out there for the in and out, but I figure y'all... Kind of cool to you. Bittersweet right. regards, your possible still friend, Jordan Mulbauer. P.S. I hope I made the font big enough for Oldie to read it. Well, hold on. There's an Allen wrench in here. All right, just All take right. that well, out here. Should I pull out the T-shirt? Because I have no idea what it says. Yeah. All right. This is really wrapped in a cellophane, like seriously wrapped. All right. Oh, here's the shirt. Should I open it up for you that you have to wear after fixing the trophy? He had a shirt made. California sucks. <laughs> I'll totally wear that. You gotta wear it, I'll but wear you that. have to fix the trophy. Uh, hold on, I'm trying to. Fi- God, dang, this is really wrapped up here. Hold on, I'm getting through it. So what happens? Do we can we give the trophy away to somebody at a fu- future? I, I gotta uh, say that it's. I, I assume it's destroyed, right? Do you want me to use my knife and just cut through the? No, 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 because if you cut all the way through it, it'll hurt it. Hold on. It's already in pieces. It is in pieces. Hold on. There's one piece. All right. This uh, this is the plate that says 2022 presented by American Force. Okay. Oh. 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 Wait, I got a leg. Is that a leg? I don't know. Right. This. Oh yeah. So there's some assembly required. Yeah, I, dude, I, this I, is you like Legos. This is adult Legos right well, here. I can't tell if this was broken or just disassembled. I'm gonna go with disassembled. I think you're right. I I can't imagine he would. Spend money on a trophy and then break it, but maybe he's just trying to. I mean, he hates us. Make so. a point. We got here. Florida truck meat. Florida truck meat. There's the main part of it. It says Florida truck meat. All right, this and you know you have homework the then. Oh no! Look at this piece. It oh. says truck show podcast pick. Oh, dude. <laughs> All right. So your homework. Yeah. For next episode, I have to build this. You have to build it, All and right. then we have to uh, make everything right with our friend Jordan. All right. I. Uh, I will do that. I dropped a couple pieces on the ground. Yeah, it looks like everything's here. All right. Uh, you have homework to do. All right, I'll build it. You you have to. I will. You, you, I'm just saying you have to. No, I, I will. All right. I will. I will. Do you right. want to put it all back in the box so you have all the pieces so you yeah. can take it home? I'll do that after the show. Okay. Let's, uh, well, I feel like we're uh, we're on a road to redemption now. Well, we'll see if you follow <laughs> through with putting that thing together. Yeah. All right, Jordan. We love you. We'll put your, uh, your award together. And give you in and out. The truck show, the truck show, the truck show. Oh, oh. All right, well, he's uh, at LBC Lighting. I'm at Sean B. Holman. We are at Truck Show Podcast. So uh, drop us a line, give us a call, 657 205 6105. Hit us up on email, truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. That's truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you guys. We, uh, we, need, we need some love. Hey, do we have uh, we have five star hotline calls already in the queue? We have some for uh, next episode. Yep. All right. So we uh, need more. Yep. Stack stack them and rack them. Six five seven two zero five sixty one zero five. As uh, Holman said, six five seven two zero five sixty one zero five. 
Yeah, we need, uh, I don't know, 5, 10, 15, 20 calls. It's going to be a good segment. Oh, yeah, it would just be half the show. It's fine. We've never done a, uh, a USOD. We've talked about a USOD, but we've never actually done one. Uh, because when I said we should do that, you're like, that's dumb. It is dumb. I don't want to do that. See? Just uh, just <laughs> call us, leave a message. Thanks about for uh, what, what Jack has. Did you enjoy the Dana segment? Yes? Let us know. Did you learn anything? Hey, here's something that you can learn. Uh, you can find yourself a reliable, awesome pickup truck from Nissan down at your local Nissan dealer or uh, build a price at NissanUSA.com. Of course, they've got the uh, hot selling frontier. And the truck with the industry's best warranty, mm-hmm. the Nissan Titan or Titan XE, five-year, 100,000 miles. Get that in uh, the Platinum Reserve or Pro 4X trim or just a basic old SV, which is a heck of a nice truck for uh, not a lot of coin. Great warranty, super reliable. It's uh, the truck that does everything you need and isn't pretentious one bit. NissanUSA.com. I wonder if there's COVID on this. Do you think like he sneezed on it? it? Yeah, well, there is a bunch of fingerprints on it. <laughs> Do you think he did like... He duped us into, like, getting sick. No, he didn't. He wouldn't do that. You don't think so? No. He wants to come out here and, and have in and out with us. We can't do that if we're sick. Dude, I, I will buy him any animal-style combo he wants. All right. Do it. Yeah. Dare you. All right. Uh, you don't I have to dare me. Listen, what, maybe what you should do is uh, introduce him to our friends at Banks Power, where he can get any type of Banks uh, product from you that he wants. Because you owe it to him. So whether he wants an iDash. Do you, know, do you notice uh, this truck right here? Ram Air diff cover. This Ford F-350 yeah. right here on, on, on his cover. award. Yes. Yep. I believe his old one did have a Ram Air intake on it. Well, what about I the new one? I don't know. Jordan, How about you, an iDash? Jordan, do you have any Banks gear on the new truck? I don't know. about a Pedal Monster? If, if you need some Banks gear. a Monster gear, Ram or a Monster if, You know what? Jordan, if you, need some, if you need some Banks parts, it's on me. How about that? There you go. Just slide into his DMs, at LBC Lightning, or uh, for the rest of you, bankspower.com. Put in your year make model and figure out what parts they have for your ride, because if you're driving a truck, I guarantee you they got some stuff for you. All right. Uh, When I head out to the backcountry, I (laughs) love- Did you just say some stuff for you? It was all- I did. S-C-H some stuff. All right. Onyxmaps.com. That's the uh, the place to go. And uh, sign up for uh, Onyx Maps for the best GPS and backcountry mapping software out there. You can download it from the Apple App Store or uh, from the Google Play Store for your Android. And, of course, they sync with CarPlay and Android Auto. You can customize the maps with markups, shows private and public lands, thousands of off-road trails, featured trails, shows you what's open, what's closed. You can save maps for offline use. You can track, save, and share trips. And, of course... Any change made to uh, any device on your account will change the rest of the devices. So I like to plan my trips on my laptop and have them show up on my iPad mini when I'm out in the backcountry doing my exploring. Never get lost again on xmaps.com and make sure you put in Truck Show for a nice little discount. I'm going to get out of here and uh, build myself an award. Okay. We'll uh, we'll see. I'm, I'll bring the camera. Okay. All right, you guys. Love you, mean it. Bye. Is that Amy saying that to us or us saying that to the audience? That's us saying that to the audience. We say, love you, mean it. Mm-hmm. We also say, we are deeply sorry. That's more in line. Yeah. That tracks. The Truck Show Podcast is a production of Motor Trend Group. This podcast was created and produced by Sean Holman and Jay Tillis with production elements by DJ Omar Khan. If you like what you've heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating. And if you're a fan of the Truck Show Podcast, we encourage you to visit and patronize our sponsors. Thanks for watching, and remember, everything matters.